Survivor Historians as we delve into part two of our giant Marquesas podcast. As always, I am Mario Lanza, and I'm not even here to play the game, man. Uh, this is Work Hard, uh, Work Hard, Play Hard Call. <laughs> and this is Jay Fisher, and I want to say that everyone here is rooting for my success. <laughs> yes, and welcome back. This is a podcast that we've been very excited about, and I'm, I, I apologize to our listeners that have been waiting a long time. It's been like a month or a month and a half since part one of Marquesas, but we are ready to go into part two of Marquesas now. And I know this is the one that everyone's been waiting for because you get to hear me gush about Gabriel, which, if I recall, was about 30 minutes of the part one of the podcast, correct? Yeah, so now you're in for two hours of just Gabe gushing. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You're publicly apologizing for not coming out with a with a podcast, you know, after about a month or a month and a half. Yet my mission statement from you in this email says, <laughs> goal, to put out a podcast around once every month, month and a half. At this point, Jay, I am no longer rooting for your success. So. Damn it! <laughs> yes, that is correct. It's been a while. We will try to get these out faster, especially from our cases, because as we have mentioned before, this is one of my favorite seasons, and... And obviously because of all the dearth of of Zoe jokes that we have to make fun of. Great character. You know, just going back and rewatching the seasons just like brings Zoe back to life. You know, I'm really thinking (laughs) this is her chance to have a second revival of stardom, you know, a second 15 minutes of fame, if you will. She was like a more dynamic Dara. But really, Zoe, it's like a Mona Lisa. It's like, you know, she's an enigma wrapped in a riddle. We need to figure this out. (laughs) Yes. So I have to say, out of all the feedback we got from part one of Marquesa's podcast, the thing that most people said was, wow, I love the Zoe jokes. Those were hilarious. So <laughs> so we have no content whatsoever. You will learn absolutely nothing from these podcasts. But if we just make jokes about Zoe, then you'll like it. But I, I, as you said, we apologize to Zoe, who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, she's a big listener. Sorry, Zoe. Sorry, Z. <laughs> I kind of live in constant fear now that I'm going to be out eating in public or, you know, at a coffee shop or something, I'm gonna get like a lobster thrown at my head or something. Sorry, Lo- so- sorry, sorry, Zoe. S- send me a bracelet sometime. <laughs> I hear you boys are making fun of me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my pet that's, cemetery accent. <laughs> that's not wicked smart of you. <laughs> All right. All right. We will, uh, we will put aside the Zoe jokes. We will go right into part five, which as I've said before, this is, Right in the middle of the what I consider the single greatest stretch of any episodes in Survivor history, which is like three through eight. And in episode four, we left off with, you know, they had the, the switch. Everyone stood on the, t- the little score tiles and they got switched up. And then uh, Sarah, I believe, went home. Is that correct, Sarah? Episode four? Yeah, Miss, Miss Cleopatra, goodbye to you. And then we go into episode five, which ominously, if I recall, starts with... Gabriel saying that he's troubled that the new people brought the game into the into his tribe. And if there has ne- ever been a better foreshadowing on what's going to happen in an episode, I can't think of a better one. 
well, up to this point, the most strategy we've had on row two is the them giving each other back back massages <laughs> and John putting Nalia's hair into a big Barbie ponytail. So I think things could only get a little more heated in terms of strategy. Don't forget the work, Paul. The the, the tons and tons of work that's going on. And the and the line from John, which I don't know what episode it's in, but at some point he says he makes the comment, you know, this is how focused they were on work and working as a team. That he he declared that if he caught a pig, he might as well set himself a you know a seat at the final four, which is just kind of absurd that you know to to make that connection there. Well, that was actually a pretty good quote because he did not catch a pig and he did not make the final four. <laughs> Correct. That's what we call <laughs> irony. Yes. By the way, there's a great winner there. I mean. I got to bring this up again. I know I brought it up in part one of our podcast that people always claim that Vesepia, you know, had no visibility. Her wind came out of nowhere. But if you go back and you watch Marquesas, there's winner clues all over the place that Vesepia is going to win. And there's one right at the start of the episode, episode five, where, you know, Rob and Sean are kind of trapped on row two now and they've given up. You know, Rashawn just doesn't care. Rob is still fighting. And um, I believe it's Rob who says, yeah, the sepia's over there kissing up. She's so much better than us than, than us at kissing up, and he does his little smooching invitation. And that's he says he's like, uh, "V's going to be the last Mata Amu standing because she's so good at it." I mean, that's right there. He it, it's there's an excellent foreshadowing quote, and there's really no reason for that quote to be in the episode because it really doesn't affect much. But you watch it and it really jumps out. Like over and over, there's several mentions in there that Rob complains that V is so good at kissing up that she's going to get further than him. And it's almost kind of like, in a sense, you know, up up until, you know, Rob gets floored off, or maybe arguably these episodes when he kind of has his downfall, is that he's the one everyone's focused on. I mean, he's kind of running away with the thing right now in, in terms of the strategy and who the show's, um, you know, focusing around. So every time they throw in one of those mentions of, uh, of you know, Rob, you know, deferring to, to V about different things, and actually, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when we see Rob get voted off, you know, uh, strangely enough, one of the votes they show for Rob to leave is Vesepi voting for Rob. So it's almost kind of like a, a handing off of the torch to Vesepi, who's going to carry this thing to the end now. Absolutely, yeah. It's That's the thing you watch this this season in particular, and you pay attention to Vesepi, and there's a lot. She is so much more visible than people think she is, and it's I guess I can't overstate that enough, and I'm sure I will say it again before the end of this part, too. Uh, what well, else here? Um, sorry, go ahead. No, it's just the first time. Well, not the first time, but, you know, with Tina, they, they purposely hid her. Mm-hmm. And Richard was so uh, prominent in the first season. And Ethan got a lot of good stuff because, you know, we were really – Ethan was – it was more of a character piece than anything else. But I think that this this is kind of the first season where we're really trying to craft – you know, a, you know, how to, how to describe Vesepia's win. And so this is kind of how it is. It's not going to be something that's super overt. And so you have to look for it, but it's nice because it's there. We are talking about it. We are pointing it out. It is there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can think of 10 winners that were more hidden than Vesepia. And it's a shame that she's kind of had been saddled with that all these years. Is one Uh, of them Amber? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll get to Amber. (laughs) Yeah. I got plenty to say about all-stars. Really? You love it, right? (laughs) Yes. All right. So anyway, there's the critical scene right here at the start of episode five. This is really where the entire season takes off. Really kind of nothing that's happened up to this point has been significant in in Marquesas. Because we get the scene where John and Gabriel kind of get pulled aside and they discuss what their plans are now in this game. And Gabriel says, well, you know, I'm just I'm not really here to play the game. I'm just here to kind of live in a society and have what we had before. And now that the newcomers are here and they've brought this game here, he's not really interested in that anymore, which if you know Gabriel's background is a pretty legitimate way for him to view the game because that's kind of how he went into Survivor. 
And it's it's amazing how John misinterprets everything Gabriel says, and it just completely sets the the rest of the uh, season off from that one scene right there. It's interesting to me that it sets him off so much because it is weird because John is playing the game so much because John wants to get everyone going and he's thinking about the end and the million dollars. It's hard to fathom some person that's walking around going, I none of that crap matters to me at all. I don't mm-hmm. care about this voting out. So, I mean, I can totally see how he's thrown off. But, you know, by the time we're getting to episode five, we're two weeks into this game, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact that this hasn't come up at all and or thrown him completely off his kilter yet. I mean, I mm-hmm. know Rotu hasn't gone to a lot of tribal councils and whatnot. But still, you know, you know that there's, you know, bickering or, or at least talks or discussions. And the fact that we get in episode five, we get these heavy conversations where Gabe's like, I'm not here to play the game. And John's like, what the fuck? What is this guy doing? And it's like, it's two weeks into the game. We haven't sussed this out yet. It really is, you know, um, you know, uh, throwing a member of a Pagong tribe member right into, you know, a vicious shark of Toggies again is pretty much what this is. I mean, you even have these kind of these characters that John, who in a lot of ways kind of resembles the way, you know, I think he, he would like to think he's playing the game like Richard Hatch. And then you have, you know, some angry pit bulls next to him, like, you know, like Tammy and whatnot. So you kind of feel bad, feel bad for Gabe. He really he really should have been on uh, Survivor Borneo. Yeah. And I do have to say, you know, John kind of gets thrown under the bus by the editors. They really spend the next three episodes just making fun of him and setting up his downfall as much as they could. But I have to say, there's no way just from what I know about human behavior that John could have flipped out that badly just from Gabriel saying, I'm not here to play the game. What I suspect is there may have been some other dialogue in there somewhere, like Gabriel saying, well, you know, I'm not guaranteed I'll vote with you just because that's not what I'm here to do anymore. So it's possible there was more in that scene we just didn't see. Because I just I know human behavior. John wouldn't have flipped out that badly over Gabriel just not wanting to play Survivor anymore. Well, I think that's precisely it, actually. I think that that is actually sort of shown because, you know, John's just like, I need you to be with me. I need you to vote this way. And Gabe's like, I don't know about that, you know. And I mean, that that that's well, the thing. And, yeah, and then John kind of pins him to it. It says, like, okay, are we trying to get the old road to back together? I kind of try to put it in another way. Okay, I'm not going to put it to you in the in the, the wording of, are you in an alliance with me? But how about we just say that we're going to try to get the, you know, all us uh, eight road to back together. And he Gabe won't even commit to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a really awkward scene to watch. And it's um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a part at the end, I know, where John says, this is where John... You know, the rise of John starts really with the scene and John says, you know, something's not right. So I will pay attention to Gabe and I will act accordingly or I will deal with him accordingly. And this is kind of this rise of John thinking of himself as a god where it all kind of starts right here. And I always love that scene. I will deal with him accordingly. <laughs> I always think of it like this and it's tough. But, you know, some a lot of, Monopoly is, is a board game that a lot of people have played. And, you know, you play the game, and you've got three or four other people, and you're moving around. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll encounter just somebody who's playing the game, and, you know, they'll land on a space, you know, and, and, and you got to buy the property, and they'll just be like, eh, I don't want to buy that one. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it you're, you like, off. you're like, why aren't you buying the property? <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like it. I don't know. You know? And yep. then they get, you know, a card and, you know, maybe it's like you have won second prize in a beauty contest, win $10. And they're like, ah, you know what? Just keep it. And you're like, what, <laughs> what, what is going on? How are you, you know, they're not playing by, by standard things and that, you know, it pisses you off even more because, you know, it's not just like, oh, well, that person's an easy target. It's like, you're screwing up the game. 
you know, somehow. And so I can really see, especially Survivor, when all you have is this game. You're out there starving and in the cold, and all you have is this, is this thing to think about. And here's Gabe going, hey, man, let's just be out here and, and not worry about that. And John's like, I, I can't handle this. Yeah, the analogy I like to use is like a blackjack. Like you go to Vegas and you sit at a table and there's some guy next to you not playing right and he's taking all your cards. That's kind of the analogy I use. Like Gabe is fucking up the table of blackjack because if they all know the rules, everyone knows how you're supposed to play. And Gabe is just off doing his own thing and John's mind just can't process that because he's so driven to win. And he's probably such a huge heart, a hardcore survivor nerd. And it just, it just short circuit his brain a little somehow. I'm not entirely sure how that worked. I like to think of it in terms of not. Oh, I already did that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, which is, I mean, at its core, it was just so awesome about Survivor, which is something I think we forget about, you know, as it's been on for so long. But you, you know, you can throw all these different people into the game and stuff, but everyone's there for different reasons, and everyone is, you know, willing to do different things to win and stuff. And that's when, you know, it becomes so much even better than a game of Monopoly is because all these people have different, you know, set of, you know, um, you know, lines that they're not willing to cross, ways they're going to play, ways they will play. So that's what makes it great. I have to say, I'll give you a little behind-the-scenes story here. I haven't really ever told this story before, but I was writing, when I was writing my uh, weekly column for Survivor Central back then, I used to write these, you know, really nice things about Gabriel. He was a great player, he seemed like a good guy, I liked him. And Gabriel's uncle ended up reading my article or something, and he wrote into me. And he's like, oh, thank you for saying such nice things about my nephew, Gabriel, and blah, blah, blah. And so it turns out, between Gabriel's uncle, like his grandma, his parents, they all started reading my column. So I ended up having, like, the entire Cade family reading my column each week to see what I'd say about Gabe. And it got so funny that at one point, Gabriel's grandma was like on a cruise ship out in the middle of the Bahamas somewhere. And she wanted to see what what that nice Mario said about her little Gabriel that week. So they actually had me fax it to her on the cruise ship in the middle of the Bahamas, which <laughs> if you've ever been on a cruise ship, probably cost like like 50 bucks to get one page of a fax on, on a cruise ship. But I always remember that, that it was so funny. This, this whole family was just hinging on what people were saying about their little Gabriel. And then right before this episode, episode five, which I don't know if we pointed out is called The End of Innocence, which is one of the best episodes of all time. Gabriel's uncle kind of mentioned something to me in email. Because um, in my power rankings, I'd, wrote, I'd written like, yeah, Gabriel's a favorite to win. He's going to be at the top. And Gabriel's uncle's like, I'm just curious about this next episode. I want to see it because I'm not sure how he's going to do. And I'm like, why would anybody be worried about Gabriel? There was no reason for anybody to be worried about Gabriel if you followed the story. And it kind of tipped me off that something weird was going to happen in this episode. And it's funny watching this episode bringing back all these memories. Like, I remember this now, and I remember Gabe has that chat with John, and I'm like, oh, now I know exactly what kind of Gabe's family was talking about, that they knew that something bad had happened to him. And it was right here. It was that scene with John. It's going to come back later in this episode. We'll get back to it. But I always remember that, 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 that his uncle kind of ominously just said, yeah, let's just see how he does this episode, because I've heard some bad things. I wonder if this episode upset Gabriel's grandmother, who was on a cruise in the Bahamas. <laughs> I don't know. I will not go back for that third helping of lobster bisque. Thank you very much. I, know. I feel bad if I ruined her cruise. Although, honestly, the one that I, I faxed her was the episode four one where he was still in power. So she was quite happy. So I really didn't ruin her life until the next week. Oh, was she was she backpacking through Europe at this point? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure that the news was so stunning that it made her fall, and Paul laughed somewhere. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> laughing. That unexplained that that uh, unexplainable laugh attack I had, you know, ten years ago, now makes a lot more sense. Ah, uh, may we? She spilled her macchiato. <laughs> yes. 
so anyway, there's my Gabriel story. But yeah, I was I was in tight with all the Cade family, and I used to get emails from them all the time. And Gabriel's uncle always wanted to discuss the ramifications of Survivor and like what the bigger picture was. And it's funny because it's a lot like Gabriel. Like he really didn't care about the strategy. He was curious about what the big picture of the whole thing meant, which is funny because it's that's basically how Gabriel approached Survivor. All right, moving on past that, we get to the reward challenge. And I got to say, this is, again, as with so many things in Marquesas, this is one of my favorite challenges of all time, this episode in particular, because, you know, the little Mara Amus, who are at this point maybe the worst tribe in Survivor history, where they have the three weak women and the old guy, and they have to take on the machine of Rotu, and they have not won a challenge. They've been decimated every single time, and this is the challenge they finally win. Yeah, no, it's an awesome, which I mean, it carries over into the you know the first half of the next episode. But it's it's just so much fun to watch Mata Amu win. It's like one of the you know one of the best tribes to to root for. You know, a, yeah. a true underdog. Not even like I mean, like, there've been underdog stories in the past, but I mean like underdog in the in terms of like the numbers they're up against. But also when you just look at them, the fact that you know, you have Kathy, Nalia, Pascal, and Gina. I mean, you really couldn't have you you couldn't change. I mean, those have to be like the four like most like you know least likely people to win challenges of 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 the however many are remaining. Well, you look at the four of them combined. They probably don't have the physical strength of the general. Combined, they don't have the physical strength of of uh, Gabriel. Probably, maybe not even Zoe. Work hard, play hard, Zoe. I mean, it's. It's funny, like, any one or two of the Rotus could probably beat the Mataamus on their own, yet for some reason the Mataamus pull off this this amazing three-challenge winning streak, which are really... Uh, that, this is one of the things that I always point out about Marquesas, why it's so fun to watch. That little winning streak, which just comes out of nowhere, and there's no explanation for it whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's just awesome. So this challenge, the reward challenge in Episode 5, is the one... Uh, it's the one where we're blindfolded. It's, uh, all the members are blindfolded, walking around picking up stumps, and then right. they have to put them on a build a little totem pole. And then the winning tribe gets to loot the losing tribe's camp, which I don't know if a lot of people know the significance. That was, I believe, the first time in Survivor history that had ever happened, where they had a looting reward like that. Right, and my my question always is is what would Rotu have done had they won? I mean, I guess they could have just stole a bunch of fruit, but I don't think Madamu had that much more to steal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What can you take from Otter? Could they like physically take Pascal? <laughs> I, I don't know if that <laughs> would you want to take Pascal? <laughs> <laughs> so many jokes. I won't make a joke. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so it's funny that because that's not one of those challenges that's rigged. You've seen, I mean, challenges in Survivor history that are obviously kind of rigged or favored for a weaker tribe to kind of win. But they couldn't have rigged that challenge with the blindfolds and the totem poles. That that one, Matamu won legit. So I mean, that, that reward, if Rotu had won that, that easily would have decimated those poor Mata Anamus. The whole season would have been over. It would have been Palau, I mean, part one. So it's just amazing that they had a reward with that kind of stakes with these two teams, and the week one actually won. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it was a cool reward, but the, the looting, I mean, what a reward. What, what a prize, you know, that, that what. They took everything. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about it in my head. I just remember that scene. I just remember going, holy shit. They took freaking everything from that camp. Yeah, Just absolutely. decimated. I mean, later on in Pearl Islands and other things, you know, we get we get some looting going on, but they either are under a time limit or it's you can take one thing. Mm. You know, they, they put limits on it because yeah. I think in Marquesas they were like, yeah, go freaking nuts. And, and they took the whole camp. But they forgot the frying pan. Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of going past the challenge here, which I wanted to mention one thing that 
you know, maybe there's a handful of moments over the course of Survivor that can kind of bring a tear to my eye and still do to this day if I watch them again. That challenge when Mata Amu wins and Kathy just starts shrieking and they all jump up and down and kind of the way the cameraman framed the shot with the kind of the road twos on the left and you see the, the, the Mata Amus just disbelieving that they won and screaming and jumping. That is one of my all-time favorite Survivor moments right there. And then you, you just remember like how happy you are for Gina even specifically that she could finally win something. Uh-huh. Yeah, she'd never won a challenge before that. Yeah, and then the other thing with there is a lot of people don't remember is that the reason Row 2 loses that challenge is because Gabriel can't find the last puzzle piece. And I know I go on and on about how Gabriel was like a big challenge god and how he never lost anything he was in, but he legitimately cost them that challenge. That was the reason they lost. Although I always thought it was funny because I've heard all these stories from people over the years saying that Gabriel was like almost legally blind and stuff. So why would Row 2 put him as the caller? <laughs> I always wondered that. I wonder if, if, once again, go back to the speculation that they rigged some challenges so the weaker tribe can win. I'm always curious. Maybe the producers made them put Gabriel as the caller or something, because I know I've heard stories that he was almost legally blind and he had to have LASIK after after the season. I think, they should, I think they should have had, you know, Zoe based on, you know, how charismatic she is, just how nice <laughs> she is with words and stuff. I think the commands and stuff just would have, you know, just come right out of her mouth perfectly. It would have been like an angelic <laughs> voice calling over the Road 2 tribe. That was really a mistake there. She's like a siren in the Odyssey. When she speaks, <laughs> just men are drawn to her. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think I think too much too too much nookie would have happened during the challenge that way. <laughs> just would have gone to complete all-out orgy. Yeah, I mean, let, let's break this down. You know, Zoe, we've just cl- outlined why she can't be the caller. You know, the general had a hurt foot. Um <laughs> And a little sausage. And a little sausage. I mean, you know, Johnny Pots and Pans can't do it because he's got to be in the challenge. He's too too busy. um... (laughs) Yes. You know, and and, and Rob and Sean are are sitting on the edge of the beach being lazy. So, you know. That's all they had left. What about Tammy? She's a pit bull. Wouldn't put her in that position. By the way, you, you talked about John being in the challenge. Do you remember that random shot of John just prancing across the field? There's one shot, they're kind of showing all the people gathering stumps, and here comes John, some oblique prance right across the screen like Johnny and Airplane, just kind of going frame in and frame out. Do you guys remember that shot? Yeah. And there's also some great uh, some great uh, colliding shots, too. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so anyway, we got that challenge. This is the first Mata Amu win. Unbelievable. There is, on paper, there is no way they should win any challenge ever, except for, like, name that Perry Como album, which maybe Pasca would be good at. But yeah, they shouldn't have won that challenge. Mata Amu comes and gets to raid the Rotu camp. They take all their stuff. And again, I'm going to keep harping on this, but there's a horrible shot that always bugs me in that when Mata Amu's raiding the camp. And all they do is they focus on Gabriel crying about it. He's sitting there. And he looks like he's going to start sobbing because his family members are taking his stuff. And that always gets me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it does. And, 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 and the big question is, did it get... His family and, you know, maybe families that were, you know, on cruises and or, you know, vacations as well. Maybe it did. We will never know. Although <laughs> we'll still I'll get Zoe to call in. I know Zoe's listening. So perhaps if Zoe can call in on the on the chat line and give us some answers here. <laughs> yeah. Can we arrange Zoe? Uh, you know, to have Zoe as a guest uh, guest here. On the, I mean, we don't really like to do that. We've never done that before. But I think for Zoe, we can make an exception. So, you know, give us your number, Zoe. Well, we'd love to have you on part three. The, the cool mean, thing is we could. <laughs> You don't have it already? (laughs) 
I was going to say, we could get any lady from Maine and no one would know any different. Do you have any friends in Maine? <laughs> so where are we here? So we have Mata Ampu raiding Camp Rotu. And basically this would have been the game for Rotu, but they didn't get to finish him off. So now Mata Ampu is suddenly back in the game, which never should have happened in a million years. And uh, I'm trying to think, what happened now? There's a there's a shot afterwards where Rotu's all bummed that the camp was destroyed and they're all crying and stuff. And I'm trying to think. Anything else going on in that episode at that point? Oh, oh no. I have in my notes right here. There's a good speech from Vesepia about how they all need to bond and come together now. They need to start over. They need to mesh as one. Well, look at that. Another nice, I'm the calm, uh, sane, responsible one quote from Vesepia. Yeah, that bitch ain't going to win. <laughs> she was puffing up Rotu. Isn't that right? <laughs> she was puffing him up. That's what she was doing. All right. Uh, and I think after that is where Gabriel has his rap with Jimmy the teddy bear. Gabriel's shining moment. Yes. So, yeah, this is this is how they try to bond. Now, Rotu's, you know, been decimated that they had their camp, you know, looted by the Mata Amus. And so they sit around, they try to bond. And Gabriel decides to sit with Sean and Rob and V and do a rap with you know, the Jimmy the teddy bear. And, of course, I love that John sees that and gets all suspicious. Oh, Gabriel's plotting with those ex Mata Amus. Kill him. <laughs> Jesus, what are your what are your episode notes? It's like episode here. Gabriel's shown from the left. <laughs> pan over of gabriel gabriel wakes up gabriel's hand shown picking up water jug i'd like to apologize for to gabriel's grandmother who's listening to all this hope you're enjoying your cruise mrs Cade. <laughs> yeah so this is the speech and then we have a uh, gabriel saying you know i love these new people these are cool people this is rotu and then again we get john going off again like gabriel's fucking with me i know he's fucking with me i don't know what he's up to and and again, it just spirals all downwards from here. It does, but I think that this is a really good, you know, these are really good scenes here where you see John sussing out Gabriel. And I, I think that you can see both sides. I mean, it, knowing Gabriel and, and knowing how it is, he's actually pretty legit. He's not working some sort of angle when he's like, hey, I just want everyone to come together and form a society and I'm not interested in voting. I, I generally think. Uh, that that's the case but at the same time you can sort of see john's side especially now that survivor's gotten a lot more uh strategical as as we've gone on through the season you know looking back with 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 current season eyes you look back at john and you're like my god john what are you gonna do this guy's such a loose cannon this this blonde mop head's just not going to play the game and and you got to get rid of him so it seems entirely justified but on the other hand here's gabriel who's just you know the awesomest person ever on planet earth yeah and so you've got kind of this weird thing going on here either way it's funny there's a, there's a great uh speech there my wife and i always make fun of the scene it's where gabriel and john are arguing if gabriel's actually playing the game or not and gabriel's like i'm not playing the game and john's like you are Gabe's like, no, but I'm not. And John's like, yeah, but I think you are. <laughs> yeah, but I think you are. Right there, argument's yeah. lost. Well, yeah. yeah, but I think you are. That's one of my favorite debate rebuttals. Like, <laughs> I did not do this. Yeah, but I think you did. <laughs> that so, just ends it right there. I mean, you, you can't argue with that. Exactly. So but, those of you who are in debate class in, like, high school, try using that in a debate and see how it works. Yeah, but I think you are. And also, yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> do I have stupid written across my forehead? Well, I guess we'll get to that one later. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah, but I think you do. And that's the part where John finally says, you know, Gabe says, I'm not here to play. Yeah, but I think you are. And John's like, at this point, he's like, at this point, Gabe's done. His time here is done. He's not safe anymore. And, that's, and what a lot of people don't remember is that there wasn't really a row 2-4 until this point. 
I mean, there was just a collection of road twos. There was kind of people that thought alike. And when John freaks out about Gabriel, this is when he officially forms the row two four. He goes to Tammy, he goes to Zoe, he goes to the general, he says the four of us to the end. And that really sets in motion the entire rest of the season. Are you sure they're the row two four? Are you sure it's not Zoe and company? (laughs) (laughs) Zoe and the gang. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yes. So Zoe's alliance is put together. Joey or Zoe using her siren's call. And Joey. John. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I got her mixed up with the dumb guy on Friends. <laughs> or a baby kangaroo, one of the Well, two. but guys, Zoe and the, Zoe and gang, they don't have an alliance. They have a friendship. They have a friendship, exactly. <laughs> the Zoe friendship. Oh, that's I find it. that amazing. <laughs> What's that? Why, thank you. <laughs> yes. So Zoe using her siren's call entices the homosexual John into her lair and forms an alliance. <laughs> that's the kind of power she has. That's the power she has there. Even after that wonderful prance during the challenge, no, there's no one is a match for for Xanadak, Xanadakis or whatever. Uh, this all seems pretty legit. Yeah, what a lot of people don't know is, you know, when we first started the Historians podcast, there were four of us. There were Beatles, but Beatles left because of Zoe. She actually enticed him to leave the podcast. So I'm just throwing that out there right now. Does that mean she's slowly picking us off? Which one of us will be next? I don't know, but Beatles and her are off somewhere, you know, just working hard and playing hard. You know what I mean? Doing the, the Lord's <laughs> Doing the Lord's work, Beatles. God bless time you, to, sir. Time to catch the lobster. <laughs> oh, I didn't man. mean that to sound sexual, but it did. Sorry. <laughs> when? You can't, you can't help it. <laughs> I don't know, but it looks like a lobster tail. <laughs> Okay, this episode is literally going to be long enough as it is. We need to keep going. All right. All right. So, yeah, so we got Zoe and the Road 24 formed up here, and uh, I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, this is where they have the immunity challenge, where where they're the, the what I like to call the rigged immunity challenge, where they just have to attract, you know, a signal from a plane or something. Is it a boat in this one? Yeah, but with that, with that with that guy that can, can barely speak English, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, the um, I, like the, he says American, the weirdest thing is like the American, uh, the American flag, the not really bright. It's like the most Frenchiest French guy ever. <laughs> yeah, so that's the challenge. They they tell the French guy, okay, that tribe is losing, so pick them. <laughs> yeah, this is a oh, challenge. That... I can see the signal. Yeah. The other tribe has the Zoe. I do not think it is fair. I will pick Mada Amu. <laughs> but I see the beautiful woman. No, no, ignore that. Ignore that. Ignore that. <laughs> I see the old white-haired judge. It attracts me very much. <laughs> it it attracts me. Yes, yeah, so Mada Amu wins the SOS challenge, a.k.a. the rigged challenge, so the weak tribe can get back in the game. And this is the one where... Again, it's another one of those happy moments where Mata Amu can't believe they actually just won another challenge. They're all jumping up and down, and you know, Gina for the first time in history won immunity. Although, if I recall, the reason Rotu loses that is, I mean, obviously because it's rigged, but but because all the creative people had to sit out of the challenge, correct? Isn't that it? It was just like Boston Rob, Sean, Zoe, and like one of the cameramen and, and, and Vesepia. But yeah, but I mean, uh, the general had faith in Zoe. She's been a seafaring woman her whole life. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but yeah i remember that and they like what, what did sean say they made like fat albert and the cosby kids something like that sos sign yeah 
yeah, so they're at. They made that. They made that thing. They they put it on like a black background. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, was it like, just was awful. Well, it's I, like, I, yeah, yeah, let's make wrote... let's make it like the dark jungle look like. Yeah, that's good. Well, I even wrote in my notes, Mataamu uses all the supplies they stole from Rotu to build all their flags and the blankets and stuff. So, in a way, it almost wasn't fair. They just stole everything to use. And, and as they were, like, sewing that, they're like, bye-bye, Sean, bye-bye, Rob. Yeah, that was great. Anyone who thought that Boston Rob would become a beloved survivor icon, just watch how much he gets shit on the whole rest of the season by the rest of other players in the confessionals. All right, so what we got here? Yeah, I wrote down in my notes, Rotu has to sit out their best four members. No Gabe, no John, no Tammy. Uh, yeah, and then Rotu makes Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids SOS sign. That was the, Sean, the quote from Sean. <clears throat> and isn't there a scene in there where Vesepia doesn't know who the Gipper is? <laughs> yeah, she's like, wait, what is that? No, 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 I think she says it, win one for the Gipper. Doesn't someone say that? And Zoe's like, huh? No, Vesepia. It is Vesepia. I thought I thought it was she's Vesepia's the one who comes up with it and says, Let's win one for the Gipper and then like Zoe looks at her like what? Like what are you talking about? She's like, Doesn't someone say that? Yeah, that's it. Vesepia goes, Doesn't someone say that? Aren't yeah, we so supposed it... to win something for someone? So Vesepia is kinda of talking out of her ass there. She doesn't really know what she's talking about. <laughs> and Zoe isn't much help. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Zoe says, What is that? Some Harlem stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then we get the great scene. Okay, so Rotu loses the tribal council or uh, immunity challenge, and they have to go to tribal council. And, you know, John has his four. He's got his four votes against Gabriel. And there's this great scene where he tries to draw in Sean, too. He wants Sean as their fifth vote. Do you remember that scene yeah, where Sean just— it's <laughs> such an interesting strategic move, which I don't really understand. I mean, I see why he did it. He goes to Sean to kind of secure votes to make sure— that, you know, that everyone can just vote for Gabe, and it's kind of like a, you know, kind of trying to get them on their side. Like, okay, well, you know, we're not going to vote you out yet. We'll give you one more round. You just got to vote with us, keep your mouth shut, and we'll vote for Gabe. But like Sean points out right afterwards, it's like if if they were really going to vote off Gabe, then they, we, you know, we should just, they should just kept their mouth shut and just think we're next. And then, yeah. uh, and then, you know, there's no chance of them going to Gabe to try to retaliate. So, um, you know, if Gabe actually were a little more willing to play the game, that could have been a very detrimental move for John there. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a potential game killer. You're absolutely right. And it's funny that Sean has that great confessional right after John comes to him and John says, yeah, we're vote with us. We're going to vote out Gabe. And John, Sean's like, why the fuck did you just tell me that, idiot? (laughs) Because you should have just done it. So, and then Sean, of course, pulls Rob aside and they're like, okay, let's go to Gabriel and tell him. And that very easily could have been a 4-4 vote and it all would have been John's fault. Yeah, totally. It's either naivete or it's just, extreme knowledge of how Gabe's going to go. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I think Sean, I think John was just super paranoid at that point. He knew this was the power move in the game. If I take over this alliance, if we take out Gabriel, we'll become the power four. And really up to that point, a powerful alliance had never been taken out of the game in Survivor. They've always ridden it to the end. So John, I mean, he kind of had history working against him at that point, knowing, well, no matter what, if I get this four and we win this vote, I'm going to win the game. So that's kind of what was working against him, as we'll see in the next episode. Oh, yeah, and then Sean has the uh, the great little confessional where he's like, all I'm saying is, stay tuned. <laughs> and it's a great, it's, it's, this is something that I, that I think we have to bring up, because so many people think, well, yeah, they had an overthrow in Marquesas. It was, you know, it was cool, I'm sure, but, you know, that happens on Survivor all the time, so no big deal. But it never had happened before in Survivor history. And what, what basically you had in Borneo through through Africa was the producers and the editors hyping up that there was going to be an overthrow. Oh, someone's going to get downfall. They're going to, is the Alliance, the Tagi Alliance going to fall apart this week? And they never did. No one ever did fall apart. Yeah, and no. so we had, 
Yeah, we had three years of the producers lying to us. <clears throat> and so when Sean's doing it again, oh, stay tuned. It's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the closest you ever get to um, just something like that happening is, uh, you know, they might sacrifice someone on their own alliance first, but we've never had a complete takeover of a tribe. Well, we did kind of in Africa with Silas's downfall, but because of the people switching tribes and the way it went, it was it was a very systematic kind of uh, overthrow. So it wasn't that kind of a chaotic brew that's going on here in Marquesas. Yeah, and again, and it fits right back in with what I was saying that that you know they build up like oh something big's going to happen, John's going to get blindsided, but they get to tribal council. You know, they even have all these scenes: Sean and and Rob going to Gabriel. Here, we're going to vote for John tonight. Gabe's like, oh, I'll think about it, and. Then, of course, they get to tribal council at seven to one against Gabriel. It's like, yeah, the editors are like, yeah, ha ha, audience, we got you again. And I always have to bring that up to to viewers like this is what they did to you every week. This is why when we get up to episode eight, this is a big deal, because they just fucked with you every single time. And it never paid off. Never, ever, ever. And another good example in this episode where they they like to make it look like Gabriel's going to join with them and vote out John. And nope, sorry, seven to one. Before I start. Before I stop talking for half an hour, because I know Mario's got a Gabe <laughs> epitaph here coming up, uh, you know, though, that, you know, when Rob and Sean are going up to Gabe and saying, hey, we'll vote out John, where, you know, we'll try something. I mean, the vote is 7-1. So, mm-hmm. you know, Rob and Sean, I mean, everybody voted for Gabriel except for Gabriel. So, you know, they went to him and said, hey, we'll vote someone out. But, I mean, ultimately, off camera somewhere, Gabe just went to them and said, guys, I'm not going with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if, if you remember, do you remember who Gabe votes for? It's not even John. Boston Rob. Yeah, he votes for Boston Rob. Rob. <laughs> and they never do explain that. I think I read in an interview somewhere that that uh, that either Boston Rob asked him to vote for him or, or Gabe had made a promise he would vote for Rob or something. There was some agreement why he did that. It was a meaningless vote. Gabe knew he was going. It wasn't a blind side whatsoever. But yeah, it's like John didn't even get a single vote. Yeah. So, uh, so I got you guys turning over the podcast to me now. Is that yeah, how going? I'm going to take a nap here for about the next hour and a half. Just kind of scream loud, wake me up and we can go over listener feedback and, um, it's all yours. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not, I don't actually have that much. I only have one story I wanted to tell. But uh, yeah, so anyway, this is the episode where, you know, Gabriel gets taken out. And I have always described it when I write about this episode. It's like shooting a puppy. Like Gabe just sits there. He gets the votes. He's like, oh, he gets this little he has this little wounded face at the start, even though obviously it wasn't a blind side. And he gets taken out for no reason. And at the time, this episode just pissed me off. It pissed me off just because I was kind of friends with uh, Gabriel's family and his grandma and his uncle and stuff. But like just from an ethical point of view, there was really no reason to take out Gabe. And I wasn't the only one who was kind of pissed about it. There was a lot of people at the time that, you know, John kind of became a big villain because of this episode. It's like, again, the, the killing of the puppy episode. That's how I always describe it. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, so Gabe gets voted out. He goes home and I didn't know, I, I kind of heard from Gabe later. He emailed me. I'll talk about this a little more later. I don't want to clog up the, the podcast right now with it, but I have to say there was the coolest story that Peter Harkey once told me. And uh, this is something that I was friends with Peter through email, too. And he was telling me when he got voted out, he got, you know, he got voted out. He had to go to the loser lodge and all the producers and all the, the interns and staffers were telling him, oh, you wait till you meet this guy on the other tribe, Gabriel. He's just like you. Peter's like, how can anybody be like me? I'm odd. And they're like, no, he's just like you. He's amazing. And I know we we'd talked on the Borneo podcast about how, you know, when, when Gretchen was voted out, it was a big deal. Like a lot of the producers cried and a lot of the staffers cried because Gretchen was their favorite. Well, I've heard 
from behind the scenes people that Gabriel was the huge favorite in Marquesas. All the the producers, all the crew members loved him. He was their favorite. They were so sad when he was voted out because they just loved the guy. And so Peter's like, <clears throat> so I never had actually met this guy, Gabriel, before. He gets voted out and he comes down, down to the loser lodge. And Peter's like, and I'd never seen this before. Like all these female staffers kind of started lining up outside the, the path to the loser lodge because they wanted to meet Gabriel. They all wanted to say hi to him because they loved him and were just watching him and all the footage. And so a lot of them had given him get they'd bought little gifts or made gifts for him. And Peter's like, I've heard to this like from people that talk about other seasons, this doesn't happen. This isn't something that normally happens. But like you had all these producers and, and the female staffers and stuff lining up to give Gabriel gifts. And so Peter goes, and I, I, I when I watched this, I was curious why these people were having such a strong reaction to this guy. And so Peter goes, Mario, you don't understand. This is something I will never forget in my life. So Gabriel comes down. You know, and all these people are handing in their gifts. And, you know, most people just say, oh, thank you for the gifts. You know, I got voted out. I'd like to process it. Thank you. I appreciate it. But Peter's like, Gabriel stopped at each person along that, that path. They gave him a gift. And he opened it up and he thoughtfully looked at the gift and he thanked them profusely. And he, he like went over and like shook their hand and wanted to talk to them because he made it, made, made, made it so they were very touched by the fact that he had, you know, been given a gift. He's like, Peter's like, I'd never seen this from someone who was only 22 years old, that he went over and he made each person feel so special that they'd given him the best gift he'd ever received in his life. And Peter's like, I have never seen that. And he's like, if you ever write about Gabriel, Mario, make sure you mention that he has a way of interacting with people that is so special and so mature and wise for his age that uh, it's just unbelievable. And so Peter made friends with Gabriel. They were good friends after that. And I wrote a lot of that into my story, All-Star Survivor Greece when Gabriel was one of my characters. And so it's really interesting just hearing all these stuff behind the scenes about how the way the producers and the staff interacted with Gabriel and how he interacted with them. And Peter himself was telling me, look, I've never seen anything like that, especially from a person of his age, that kind of wisdom. And with that, I am done with my Gabriel story. Wow. Impressive. You kept it all together. I did. I did good. Well, it's not fresh anymore. This was 10 years ago, so we're okay now. (laughs) The wound has almost healed up. Yeah, but I do have to say, since you know, I, I leave on kind of a sappy Gabriel memory. There's a if you if you have the Marquesas uh, DVD, one of the extras on there is everyone's early show interview from the next day. And if you have a chance on the Marquesas DVD, watch Gabriel's early show interview with Brian Gumble the next day, where Gumble and all of them are just you know grilling Gabriel like, what kind of fucking idiot are you for going on the show and not even wanting to play? And Gabriel is so good at explaining his position, he actually kind of converts Gumble by the end. And Gumble is like a notorious hard ass. He hates everybody. He hates Survivor. And Gabriel actually kind of sways him by the end of the interview. And Gabriel's and at the end of the interview, Gumble's like, that was really impressive. I'm actually quite impressed by you, Gabriel. And then I think it was, uh, I forget who the female co-host was. Jane Clayson. I share her birthday. Yeah, Jane Clayson. And she kind of looks over at Gabriel and she's like, wow, I wish I had a younger sister for you. And Gabriel's like, well, I wish you did too. <laughs> that laugh. Yeah. And so anyway, that's the thing with Gabriel. And there was a... When he was voted out, it was one of the great uh, polarizing moments in Survivor history where did you either feel bad for Gabriel or did you absolutely hate this guy's guts that he went on Survivor and didn't even bother trying to play? And I will have to say, you know, I'm a big Gabriel fan. I will never say anything bad about the guy, but he was not well liked by most of the Survivor audience when he came out. It's something you've seen over and over throughout the years that if someone quits on Survivor, 
that the fan base on the internet just goes absolutely fucking bonkers. They're like, I I would have stayed out there. I would have played. Why wouldn't they? Why didn't they cast me? Why did they cast this asshole that quit or wouldn't play? Like I wanted to play. And Gabriel got so much venom from a lot of the fan base on the internet because it was perceived that he quit or he just didn't care about Survivor. So uh, my viewpoint on him is in the minority, and it always has been. He was really not popular among a lot of the fan base for many years. I think it took, takes a lot of years for the concept of of the character to be there because, you know, from the from the beginning, there have been these people – uh, that want to come on Survivor and you know really just have the 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 survival aspect of it. You know, can I go out there? Can I, you know, be away from society? Can I survive on my own? Can I keep my wits about me amongst all these people? People still do this today. Uh, you know, you can probably look at a couple people in the last couple of seasons that have been on and pick those people out. But the problem is, is that you know. <sighs> At the beginning, we didn't appreciate that as much. You had to kind of be a character or something like that. And Gabriel is a character, but his character is less loony, goofy, and just more like incredibly good human being. And that's that's not as marketable in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. That's not really what the audience wants to see. And, and again, I, I had heard that he had been cast on the first season and they kept moving him back to the second, third, fourth seasons. And, uh, yeah, so that was the thing. They they The producers knew that Gabriel wouldn't be easily digested by the survivor audience and they were correct in a way but they did know that he would be successfully digested <laughs> by mario lanza exactly <laughs> uh, okay I'll, I'll leave off gabriel with one last thing uh, I, I just wrote this in my notes that uh, on his early show interview it's on the marquesas dvd brian gumbel says were you proud of the way you played gabe and gabe says yes i was proud i was proud of the way i behaved and then he kind of pauses and says well except for the rap <laughs> I gotta say that's that's how we will forever remember Gabriel, the guy that, the golden boy that all the producers and the women and the staff on Survivor loved, who couldn't rap. Which, for the record, no one expected him to, Gabriel. So that's okay. Yeah, last I know, suburban white kids that grew up on a commune in North Carolina are not known for their hardcore rap skills. That's Zoe. Good. Now Zoe, I'd expect could rap. Yeah, I would expect. That. I haven't seen it, but I just expect that she can. I don't know how many words rhyme with lobster. All right. So we are on finally down with done with the Gabe episode. We are on to episode six. And I have to say, you guys might not know about this. This might have been kind of an online nerd thing at the time. But there was a spoiler that was kind of floating around the Internet at the time. And it said that, oh, there's this cruise ship off Marquesas. And uh, that's where they're keeping the jury members. And someone said, we saw John and Tammy on there. And I remember that came out right around this episode. And I'm like, fuck that. That's just one of those fake spoilers the producers will drop out there to keep you interested in the game when when it's obvious what's going to happen and i always remember this now that because survivor had done that up to this point it had dropped fake spoilers on you the producers had done that to kind of throw people off the trail and the spoiler came out that said oh yeah john and tam you're on the jury we saw him on his cruise ship and it's funny because that spoiler was absolutely 100 percent true and no one believed it oh that's funny yeah so just think about that as we go into the next episode and I will, since my voice is now tired from talking about Gabriel, we'll go on. Who wants to start episode six? Oh boy, episode six, which um, even though it has a very sad ending for, I think, most Survivor fans, because, uh, you know, this is the episode that Gina goes down in, but, um, you know, because Gina... <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, Jay. Jay laughed his ass off. No, but I mean, like, it, I mean, was anyone out there, like, glad that Gina got voted out? 
I was talking about the going down part, but oh. uh, yeah, keep going. Oh, okay. Or I guess is they... that a rhetorical question? Are you at, do you honestly think someone was sad that Gina? No, left? that's what that's what that's what I was making the point of that no yeah. one was. No one. But it also includes you know the first half of the episode includes uh which I agree with Mara who said this you know right up there with that that ch- blindfolded challenge in Survivor Australia perhaps the most intense um you know best challenge they've ever had on the show where they actually have to go back and uh, Jeff has to overrule himself for for a ruling he made who wins the challenge so this episode's full of gold not only that but this is the one where kathy introduced the phrase holy mother mcgrady <laughs> holy mother mcgrady my my weaving skills exactly which is a phrase of course we all use to this day and it all came from this episode always yes absolutely <clears throat> all right and so you know, episode Sorry, go well, ahead. They got, and they got the they got the feast right. We'll get to the reward challenge, but they got they finally get the feast right. It's not just Mountain Dew and Doritos, <laughs> and you know they they got some sandwiches and stuff in, in well, Africa. It was better. But this Jay, one they've got like what? Oh, sorry. No, Jay. I'm gonna say here because you can almost get away with just giving him Mountain Dew. You can't just get away with giving him Sierra Mist. I mean, that's just <laughs> a slap in the face. <laughs> Sierra Mist, you're right. But you know, at least they had like chicken and bean salad and, and I think quiche, which you know, if I'm gonna have some starving ass people, you know, I'm gonna have a quiche. Well, speak for yourself there because cucumbers, peppers, high, high gas foods, you would blow it up in a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, I did yeah. think the and, feast the feast was nice because they brought some fafaru for Boston Rob, so that was always nice. Oh, and he gets that face. <laughs> All right. Oh, oh. I was going to say, the start of episode six is interesting because the way they lead off the intro, you know, they kind of do the recap where Jeff Probst comes and rambles on for, you know, a minute about with the last episode. The first thing they show in the recap at the beginning of episode six is Boston Rob's voting comment for John. And he says, I know exactly what you're doing. First chance I get, I'm going to get you. And it says, last week, Boston Rob made it his mission to take out John. Which is funny because I don't remember that scene being in episode five. And this is one of those times that Survivor kind of starts fudging stuff. And they hadn't done it too much before episode before episode six of Marquesas, where they start showing stuff, recaps that didn't actually happen last week. But they definitely do it with this one. And it's clear they start, they're trying to build up Boston Rob's legacy here. They, they want John's downfall later to be seen as coming from Boston Rob. Although if you watch it, it really didn't. I mean, it did, but it didn't. And that quote certainly wasn't in episode five. So I always thought that was interesting. I guess we have nothing to say about that. And we're done. No, um, but <laughs> yeah, but the, there's also within this episode too, and in a lot of ways, not only with with Gina going, it is kind of the death of this happy little Mata Amu tribe because we start off, you know, with the tribe. I think this is the episode where we see they do. Is this the episode where she does the, um, or maybe that was last episode? I can't remember where she does the the the. the like the chi breathing or whatever she does and feeling the warmth of each other's hands and whatnot. Um, and I don't know exactly what's in episode five, what rolls over to episode six, but we start off with this very happy tribe of, of Kathy, Gina, Malia and Pascal. And, you know, we see them go through the challenge, all these good things happen to them. And then it turns around for the end, but at least for the first half of the episode, we see a very, you know, happy tribe. And I think this, that that's where they're, they're chasing after all these, these huge crabs. And it's really yeah. a cool scene. And, and when you see them eat that crab meat, there's mm-hmm. so much meat in that thing. And, you know, they make the point that, you know, we don't really need to win the food in this reward challenge as much as we need to keep Rotu from winning the food. That's true. That That is the scene I was talking about earlier with the Holy hey, Mother, Mother McGrady. McGrady. Yeah, that's what Kathy says when, when she sees one of these giant crabs. Holy Mother McGrady. Well, I think oh, maybe yeah. Kathy would have said some other words, but, you know, being around Nelly and Pascal for so long, she's trying to, like, change her vocabulary a little bit. 
Yeah, she was going to drop an MF bomb. Yeah, because I think she was going, you booger! You booger! Yeah, yeah. you motherfucking booger! <laughs> they cut off the, the, the first part of that. Yes. But if there Another was ever thing... evidence, if there was ever evidence that the uh, producers love Gabriel, it's it's uh, they're they're happy. They got the cl- they got the crab moment. Then they go to the reward challenge and they see that Gabe's been voted out. Oh, mm-hmm. sad oh, face. Yeah. Oh snap! Yeah, this is the one. We have a uh, you know the road two four have taken over the game. Zoe and her alliance of three minions has you know taken out Gabriel. They took out their last obstacle, and you get the beginning of this episode with. They're all, you know, bragging and John standing under the waterfall, which, again, as we pointed out, I think that all throughout the season, whoever is under the waterfall is the one in power. You got the shot of John standing there with arms outstretched like he's a god. And he's like, everyone knows I'm the leader. Everyone knows I'm running the show. And John even starts bragging to us. You know, one of us is going to be the winner now. That's just the way it's going to be. And again, if you'd watch Survivor history, that's how it had gone up to this point. So there was no reason to think it wasn't going to be one of them. And this way he he strips, too, right, and jumps off naked. He does. That's he's showing his power that he doesn't even care if he's naked in front of people now. He's he's so power ridden he can just get naked and doesn't care if it offends people anymore because he's John. And sadly, Zoe does not get naked. Boo. <laughs> and I think we then we get some more quotes at the start of the episode where Rob is complaining about V. Oh, she's too good at kissing up. She's too good at being friends with them. I don't trust her. I'm like, I guess there's more winner quotes because again, there's no reason for that to be in the episode. And then well, we we're highlighting a... we're, well, we're highlighting the sepia. You know, we are we're we're showing this whole thing. This is this is again. It's 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 quotes like that from people like Rob. Not that Rob is like the most trustworthy individual on planet Earth, but I think it's pretty fair to say that Rob is a uh, is a star of the season right now. Uh, not I'm not saying the star, but he is a mm-hmm. star, a very big star of the season. And and I think we as an audience were meant to you know not not basically look at Rob and go wow this is the greatest guy since sliced bread and sliced bread's pretty nifty. But we are mm-hmm. supposed to kind of like him and in, in his endearing kind of young brash kind of way. And so you know. Rob gets something like, yeah, that that Vesepia, you know, she's uh, she's really getting in with the other tribe. It's like even though, you know, he says things that don't necessarily come true, everything he says about Vesepia is, you know, in its own way, very complimentary and very, uh, I think, observant toward her game. And so, you know, if you are paying attention, you are watching the storyline and the editing going, Rob is someone to listen to when he's talking about Vesepia. <laughs> And I do have to say, it's around this point in the season, his edit kind of changes a little bit, where he's kind of like this buffoonish little kid the first couple episodes. And it's around this episode, he starts getting kind of a spunky underdog edit. They really start making you try to root for Boston Rob. And it all kind of starts, you know, I'm taking you out, John, I'm going to get you any chance I get. And then uh, I remember when I was writing my column, it was this episode that I started picking Boston Rob as a potential winner because they were really highlighting him. He got a ton of scenes and you'll see in the next episode, episode seven, even more where he gets like half the confessionals. Yeah. He really started getting focused on him. Like there's no way they'd have that much focus on a minor character. So if you watch Marquise, kind of watch for Boston Rob's edit to kind of switch right around this point where you start rooting for him and he starts making a lot of sense. I just really wish they would have utilized Zoe as the narrator here, but I guess you can't, (laughs) can't get everything. (laughs) Yes. All right, and then we have, as Jay said, the big reveal of the Gabriel elimination where, you know, uh, they're going to the big reward challenge and and Gina's all excited because she can't wait to see if Rob or Sean got eliminated. She doesn't care which one got eliminated as long as it was one, and she's all giddy about it, and they're just thrilled to see what happened. And they get there, and they see that Gabriel, of all people, is gone. And, 
you know, as we said in in the last podcast, that was basically Pascal's, you know, surrogate son, and that was basically Malia's boyfriend who just got shanghaied out of the game when there was no reason for it. They still had the the majority. And I, I love that reveal. Just the looks on their faces, especially Kathy. She's like, oh, my God. Like, they can't even fathom any scenario that Gabriel would have been voted out. And there he is. And and they won't, won't get an explanation until later. But that's just one of the little moments on this episode that I like. Sad faces all around. Yes. And it's tough, though, because, you know, you are right. As as an as an audience, we weren't so enamored with Gabe uh, yeah. as the production was and as as Nilia and Pascal and everybody out there was. So, you know, it's a weird disconnect. I remember being very disconnected because, you know, it's not like I was sitting there going like, Gabe sucks, blah, blah, blah. But it's like Gabe went home and you're like, oh, man, tough break for that kid. And then, you know, the next week they get to the challenge and then everybody's like bawling that he went home. And I was like, what? What? Yeah, the, unfortunately, they just couldn't show the thing with Pascal and uh, with Nalia and Gabriel kind of being a couple and Pascal like being their dad. So it was really kind of a detriment to the season that you didn't you don't see that. And there's no not even a hint of it in the episodes until maybe it comes this episode where their reaction. But, yeah, it's it's just a shame. And it's one of the reasons why I think Marquesas is a lot better on a rewatch, especially when you know some of the behind the scenes details. It just makes more sense when you watch it now. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. It's, you know, there's a lot more careful little, you know, editing things they put in there. It's not as, as blatant as maybe some other seasons are. But when you go back and watch it, you see what they do in that season. It's pretty cool. And then we get to the challenge again. And I have gone on record as saying this is one of my two favorite challenges in Survivor history. You just mentioned it yourself, Paul. This is the one where they have to run into the woods and get the paddles and then come back and they row. They go around a little obstacle course in a canoe, two of them. And this is the one where. John and the general are so far ahead that it's not even close. Like they're almost all the way out to the buoy by the time the women get in their canoe. And then for some reason, I, the general's like using the, the, the rudder as a paddle or something in the back. He can't figure out how to go straight and they start turning sideways and Kathy and Gina come up and catch them, which is one of the more improbable moments in survivor history that Kathy and Gina could catch, you know, two of the bigger, stronger guys on row two. Well, it's not hard to pass dumb and dumber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, Boston Rob, great quote from Boston Rob. Yeah, and so Gina and Kathy come back. They're way behind. They come back and they win this challenge. And there's a disputed, you know, disputed decision at the end where Rob was not here. Rob was not here. <laughs> That's like so great. They come back and just Kathy's like, uh, this is I always watching. It's always a favorite seed of seed to watch because you have like you know Gina and Alia. They're all. I mean, they're they're upset about this, but they're you know they're talking like like rational human beings. Like Rob wasn't here, Jeff. Like the he wasn't here. The general wasn't here. And then all of a sudden, Kathy like repeats what they just said. Except Except for in a very loud knock shot. Yeah, Rob wasn't here. Yeah. Rob wasn't here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Holy mother McGrady. But yeah, I so, mean, he, so he needs to be here, man. Come on, man. <laughs> and then it's great to find out that they lose the challenge on two accounts. One, that their boat wasn't close enough to the, you know, where it needed to be dropped off on the beach in reach of the chain. And two, that the general wasn't at the tiki when he put in the flag. So just to have Jeff, you know, reverse that decision and they take out the flags and, and switch them out and, and see Maramu come up with the win anyway, it's awesome. Especially after Rotu, you already see Rotu has this huge celebration. They're jumping up down hugging and, oh, never mind. You don't get Sierra Mist, the best drink on earth. <laughs> Well, it's funny because they actually showed Jeff reversing his decision in the episode because it lends a certain realism to that moment. You can just see everyone's cheering and screaming and going crazy because this challenge is so close. And Jeff gets caught up in it and gives Rotu the win. They're like, Rob, was not here? And then he reverses it. And it's 
again, one of my all-time favorite Survivor moments. And again, inexplicable that the old Feeble and Three Women Tribe actually won their third challenge in a row over the Rotu machine. Rigged. Just rigged. Why am I watching this? Why are you watching this show? Come on. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just love that. I mean, it makes up for all the bad will over Gabriel, the last episode. This challenge in particular. So much joy and just so much the music swelling. Just everything about that scene is just awesome TV. Fantastic TV. Fun challenge. Yep. And then, of course, we get into the reward feast where I believe Nalia drops her first Oh My Heck. I was actually looking for this when I was doing my notes for the episodes. And I think it's the feast in this where she sees the bread and she says, oh, my heck. Yeah, she doesn't really see it in the first half of the game. It really just kind of, you know, picks up and she keeps going with it. Yeah, this is the one. Are, this is the one. Go ahead. Are, are you looking for the exact moment that Nalia captured the hearts of the entirety of America? That was it. That was the one. That's it? Yeah. Right here? Okay. <laughs> it was the one. The Nalia fever started right around there. That's when America's true love with the Mormon religion started. <laughs> the big love comes out on HBO right around here. Exactly. And President Romney, because, you know, the election's tomorrow and we all know Romney's going to win. <laughs> this is what started it. It was started with Nalia. <laughs> it would have started with Zoe, but Zoe was not here. <laughs> All right. Anything else going on in this episode? I have episode six as, even though most people remember this as the Gina Goes Home episode, if you watch it, it's really the Boston Rob Saves His Ass episode. And, it, and it's kind of important because they they build Boston Rob and up in the spunky little underdog who's going to take over the game and knock out the Rotus. So this one really is kind of his episode. I'm going through my notes for this episode, and it says, it's got a great scene at the reward feast where the, Rot- the Matamus all sit around and discuss why on earth Gabriel got voted out and what possibly could have led to that, and they just can't fathom it. And is this the one where uh, there were Pascal reads his little poem that Gabriel wrote him at one point? Yeah. Yeah, that's a sad scene. Well, Nalia reads it and stumbles over it, but... <laughs> of course. And Nalia says it must be real quarrelly over there right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a great scene right after that. They go back to Camp Rotu, and... Uh, you know, John fucked up the challenge, John and the general, and John tells us in the confessional, I didn't apologize because leaders don't apologize, <laughs> which that's a great quote. I don't apologize. Leaders don't apologize. Also, I'm going to check to see if anyone's rapping around here because <laughs> yes. that crap needs to stop now. <laughs> it was a great quote from Sean. John says the food's all fatty and they'll blow it up. And Sean's like, John said if we won and ate, we would have crapped our pants. Well, what else do we got out here but nature and opportunity? <laughs> Which for a, long, for a long time as a kid watching this, I was trying to figure out what he said. I thought he said our patoonity. And I remember <laughs> look, trying to look up what does patoonity mean? And then I later on I realized, oh, opportunity. John, yeah, this, or Sean is so money. I love that guy. <laughs> Sean's hilarious. Yeah, almost every one of his quotes kills. And this is the one. Uh, yeah, this is uh, where uh, they go back to camp now. You know, Rotu lost and they all start fighting and. And all the there's all these subtle hints and signs that Road is going to fall apart. Boston Rob keeps telling us, "Oh, we're going to get them. We're going to fall apart." And Sean's like, "Yeah, they're going to fall apart. We're going to get them." And, and it all starts right here. This is where I think uh, Rob sets up his confrontation back at camp. Rob decides he's going to confront John and, and start a big fight now and try to get everybody to kind of fall apart. That's the one. I know. I know. Paul. Yeah, I know you are anticipating this scene. This is the one where Rob corners Zoe. 
<laughs> this is just awesome. Just, I mean, we've already kind of used the line going up to it, but just, you know, just awesome that, you know, I don't, <laughs> you just quarter Zoe on this, just get answers out of it, just talking to Zoe, just like, I mean, it's like even I, excuse, dumber than talking to a brick wall, because at least a brick wall doesn't say anything, you know, but the thing she says back, like, he's like, you, you're going to tell me that you and the general and Tammy and John don't have an alliance? And she's like, we have a friendship. We're not an alliance. <laughs> and then to follow that scene up right up, he goes and quarters John. And John says, I mean, yeah, of course we have an alliance. You'd be stupid not to see that. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Great stuff. You can't, you couldn't write something like that good. Is that the one with all the, do I have stupid written across my forehead? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> First, Rob says it. Do I have stupid written across my forehead? And then John repeats it back to him. Do I have stupid written across my forehead, Rob? Oh, so <laughs> great. You could just see, like, the hamster wheel turning, you know? It's like, yeah. aren't you guys all in an alliance? Oh, wiki, 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 wiki. No, well, it's a friendship. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. we've, we've talked about things. You know, we all like to, you know, uh, have discount shopping at Costco, you know, and, and other things like that. But but an, a, a voting alliance, I, yeah. I don't we know. Have common, we have common interests. We like to vote out the same people. I mean, that's yeah. as far as it goes. <laughs> And then that's the scene. Uh, uh, I want to point another scene out here. This is the one where Rob very casually outs John as a homosexual. Remember that? Or is so this a big like, argument? Or, yeah, you know, like, I, hey, I think that's how. It, yeah, yeah, because it kind of, it kind of, they come to a kind of consensus at the end of the, the this conversation. Okay, well, you know, things are a little bit better now. And then he throws away the comment. Oh, but are you gay, by the way? <laughs> yeah, John's like, yeah. And it's like I remember on the message boards in particular. Man, people were so furious about that. And I don't even think John was that offended by it. He's like, yeah, it was very passive aggressive, but it was totally Boston Rob. But I do remember on like Survivor Sucks and other message boards, people just being furious that Rob would dare out John that way. And it, it's, if you watch it, it's really kind of a playful end to a really not playful scene. John Rob's like, all right, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. By the way, are you gay, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how Rob ends every conversation. It could be that, but it could be, you know, I think that that, Rob knew John at this point. John John is not very uh, uh, apologetic about uh, about the fact that he's gay, you know. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, and it's 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 all fantastic stuff. So, like, Rob's just like, yeah, okay, you know, we'll we'll play around with it. And John's like, I'll play around with it back because John is, you know, awesome. Yeah. And again, I got to point out, you know, the editors crapped on John. They made him look like a fool. He really had a bad legacy in Survivor history, but he handles himself pretty well with Boston Rob. I mean, Boston Rob is a tough negotiator, and when he gets in your face, he's pretty badass. And John, oh, yeah, handles, John didn't give an inch. No way. Yeah, John handles him about as well as anybody could. So I, I, I'm a big John fan. I've always been a big fan of his. I think he kind of got the shaft in the world of uh, the Survivor legacy. But yeah, he handles himself pretty well in that scene. Yeah, and he's still super into Survivor and still follows it and stuff like that. And I, I feel like John should have a bigger following somehow. I agree. And he was always one I was really pissed off, didn't even get considered for All-Stars. I'm like, but he was a major character. I mean, he was a villain and didn't have a lot of fans. But, like, he was really, really important to the season, probably more so than Boston Rob even. So I always thought it was kind of a shame he kind of got forgotten. Yeah, he would have been fun for Heroes versus Villains even. Absolutely. All right, so... 
with uh, after the Boston Rob and, and uh, John fight, we got the thing where you know Rob knows he's screwed. Everyone's pissed at him. You know, it's the road to four against the world, and so Rob says, "I need to win this immunity. This is my last chance in this game. If he makes the merge, he has a chance to start stuff. But if he doesn't make the merge, he's toast." So this is what, like again, I always call the Save Boston Rob episode. And we get this great conversation with the row two four where they know they don't want Rob in that merge because he's trouble. And so where John tries to get Tammy to throw the challenge, you guys remember that? Yeah, and then Tammy's kind of like, she's like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Like, I win everything I do because I'm a pit bull. That's right. That's exactly how she said it. Yeah, so, yeah, John tells Tammy we've got to throw the challenge to get her rid of Rob. And she's like, no, I play with honor. I don't throw challenges. I'm here to win, which... She was correct in a way, and I was very—I thought it was very admirable for her to take that stance. But in retrospect, John was probably right. They probably should have thrown this challenge. Yeah, you know, it's always—it's always a bigger flag to see somebody throwing a challenge than than choosing not to throw a challenge. I, I guess that's a, that's a weirder line to go to. But you know, we always like to you know show people throwing challenges and then you know having momentum lost or having things not quite work out and everyone goes see probably shouldn't have thrown that challenge but you know there are a lot of times where maybe they probably should have and they didn't but no one says anything because they're like well you just play you just play to the whistle and and whatever happens happens but it's like you know putting some thought into this stuff is is sometimes pretty good yeah and fortunately for the road to four but fortunately for us the audience they don't throw the challenge they get in there tammy and boston rob you know, it's, it was the circular maze immunity challenge, and Boston Rob is just you know, running around like his pants are on fire because he knows this is his end of his survivor career if he doesn't win this challenge. And he comes in and he single handedly uh, wins this ch- this maze for the Rotus, and he goes crazy. And it kind of derails the momentum of the story because, you know, Matamu is having this big comeback. But if you're a fan of Boston Rob, this is one of his best episodes because it's really the whole second half of this episode is his, and it's all about him saving his butt and trying to make the merge. So. It, it's it's a cool moment of Boston Rob saving himself, and then he will make the merge. All the shit that's going to happen in, in two episodes later is going to happen now. But that also means we have to go to Tribal Council, and we are about to lose one of our all-time Survivor sweethearts, Gina. Now, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Gina was one of, if not the first, Jeff Probst's girlfriends, where he was kind of sweet on her, and they were—I'm not sure if dating, but he kind of had, had the hots for her, and they were kind of friends or something— there was something going on between Probst and Gina, and and this is something that I've heard behind the scenes from a couple people. I don't remember specifically who told me this, but I've heard it from a couple people, and they said that, you know, Probst was really upset because, you know, the Mata Amus, you got Pascal and Aaliyah and Kathy all talking like they're still a family. They don't know who they're going to vote for, you know, given telling Gina that she has a chance. And then they get to tribal council, three to one, they all turn on Gina, vote her out, see ya. And I, I heard... And I've repeated the story over the years. This won't be a surprise that after the cameras were off, probes kind of kept the model almost there and just laid into him, Pascal, Malia, and Kathy, and basically called them all pieces of shit because they voted out his girlfriend and they gave her false hope and they were cruel to her and stuff. And I've, again, I've heard this story several times over the years. So it's got, there's got to be a kernel of truth to it somewhere. But Probst and Gina were kind of sweet on each other. And Gina has always had kind of a good reputation in the survivor audience. A lot of, she's had a lot of fans over the years and still does to this day. Yeah, you can't listen to something bad about Gina. She was great, even though it's crazy that she was only on the show for six episodes because she has such a presence in the season. Yeah, I had someone ask me the other day, are there any survivors who are universally beloved? You've never heard someone say a bad thing about them. And Gina is one of the females that often comes up when people ask that question. And the male that usually comes up is Roger Bingham from Australia. 
those are kind of the two I've never heard anybody say anything bad about in person in, in, in any situation ever. Well, I personally would not choose Roger for a jump off a cliff and swim challenge. Oh, you're a dick. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah, Gina, for, for a lot of people, we have a lot of new you know listeners that didn't really watch Survivor since the start. But Gina was really popular among the Internet fans. She was always kind of had a much higher presence on the message boards than she really deserved because she really wasn't in the season that much. But she's one of those that a lot of people have always liked. She was a huge sweetheart. I used her in my All-Star Alaska story because it was I would be nuts not to. She was so popular at the time. And it's funny because you watch the show and her presence really doesn't warrant her popularity. But she really was. She was always well-liked. She was always, I mean, to this day, people still talk fondly about her and wonder what happened to her. And yeah, she's one of those, one of the kind of the survivor sweethearts that got away. One that just kind of her legacy just kind of faded after a while. But she was a big deal at the time. Girl next door type. Absolutely. Girl next door who can spit a watermelon 80 feet. At watermelon seed, sorry. I love that on her early show X interview, they do this whole thing like in the studio of her shooting watermelon seeds around the room. <laughs> As if you could actually see that. They're like trying to yeah. zoom up on the carpet. I'm like, did no one think this through? <laughs> no wonder no wonder the early show tanks, you know, every year and they have to redo the redo the, the lineup on there. Yeah, to this day they still refer to that as watermelon seed gate. <laughs> All right, and with that, we are officially to the merge. Look at that. We're an hour into the podcast, hour, 10 minutes, and we actually got to the merge. I can't believe it. It's because I cut out two of my Gabriel stories, by the way. I'm just letting you know. Oh, we've, we're, we're only officially an hour in? People, <laughs> oh, you don't know how long we've been here tonight. <laughs> yeah, so we are officially to the Marquesas merge. And, uh, again, the, the storyline here, if you follow the season, is that the row two four is in power, but Boston Rob is aiming to take him down. And the Mata Amus on the other side are wary because they saw that Gabriel has been voted out. And they're not entirely sure where row two is anymore if the beloved heart of their tribe could be voted out like that. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with this merge episode that might not be in other seasons. Because even though there's a power core, the row two four, there's a lot of stuff hinging that they, a lot of signs and a lot of warnings that they could fall. And a lot of the audience is kind of rooting for it because John's confessionals are just getting cockier and cockier as the days go on. And what I love about this episode, just really highlighting, you know, the two the two people from the season who are going to end up being all-stars. You know, it really is a lot, all about Kathy, all about Boston Rob. Because it's in this episode that we really focus on Kathy kind of, you know, finds out about this conspiracy that, you know, Rotu was going to, was willing to get rid of her first. That was kind of this deal that was made. So it's kind of this whole thing about Kathy realizing her place in the game and how she's going to, you know, come back from this. And she has these confrontations with the former Rotu people, you know, and then obviously we have Rob's, you know, this is actually his downfall by the end of this episode. But then we just get that awesome, you know, I mean, we'll talk about once we get, once we get into the episode a little deeper, but we know we have their great summit where they're, you know, getting drunk and eating pizza and whatnot. So this episode really is about those two characters. Yeah, and Paul's really not exaggerating. I was going through this episode in particular, episode seven, and I swear to God, Paul or uh, Kathy and Boston Rob combined have like eighty percent of the confessionals in the episode. No, almost nobody else speaks the entire episode. It is just Kathy and Rob ping ponging back and forth with what they're going to do with the vote. It's pretty amazing. Well, they're the ones shaking here at, at the merge. You know, I mean, John's holding tight, Road Two Four are holding tight. But, you know, they, Kathy and, and Rob are the, the ambassadors that kind of do the merge thing. So we, we get a good sense of action with them. But then, you know, once everyone's merging and going, Kathy's trying to figure out, 
you know, where she stands because she's kind of walked both sides. You know, she's been on Rotu before, even though she was never really in with the click. So she's trying to figure everything out. And then Rob is, you know, scrambling like hell now, you know, try to to try to oust John in his own way. So they're the only ones they're they're the ones that are really kind of moving and shaking and trying to figure out where everyone is. And so it, it was kind of fun to see it through their eyes. Yeah, and Rob's defense, too. I'm not really the biggest Boston Rob fan, but he's really good in these episodes, in particular this one right here, where, you know, Boston Rob's trying all this, everything he can to try to get John out of power and get, you know, the road to four taken down. And Rob's like, fuck it, I'll do whatever just to do anything different. I'll do any, I'll go right through the mountain. So we get this tree mail that said, oh, you're going to merge. We need an ambassador. And Rob's like, I'll do it. And the only reason he does it, he's like, well, here's a chance to do something new. I get to meet somebody on the other side. So you got to give Rob a lot of credit. He really tries everything he can in this episode in particular just to change the game, to do anything to make it for John and the Rotu 4 aren't going to win. I enjoyed this uh, ambassador scene a whole ton. I don't know why. (laughs) I did, though. It was a fantastic scene. Yeah, just two great characters just sitting there, and they're they're not even talking strategy most of the time. They're just kind of hanging out and riffing on stuff. And it's, it's fun just to watch them talk because they're so completely different and you know, Kathy even makes that comment that I'm I'm going to sit here and pound beers with this young buck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do it. Well, there's a there's a great scene where Rob's like, uh, what does he say? He's like, uh, oh, they're all lying, Kathy. Rob's like, you know, they're going to vote you off first. And Kathy gives the biggest googly eyes. She looks like a Muppet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it zooms on these eyes and he's like, he goes, I asked, I asked, I asked Zoe who you can vote off first. And she said. Kathy, and then you know, he keeps doing these things where it's like Kathy, Kathy, and she just like, gets to the point where she just like she's like a pup, like her mouth just mimics <laughs> Kathy, Kathy, as the eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, Jay's absolutely right. This is one of those great, fun little scenes in Survivor, and it really doesn't ma- have any effect on the season as a whole later down the road since Boston Rob just gets voted out anyway. But yeah, this is one of those great character scenes, just two A plus characters in Survivor history hanging out, pounding beers and eating pizza. And it's it's fun to watch. It's one of those great little moments in Marquesas. I would say it's it's kind of a great setup for like a plan or alliance that never comes to fruition. Like it's just, you know, a huge plan on these two or you, you don't know how they're gonna do it, but they're you know, they're gonna take over the game and stuff. And then it just kind of it never happens after that. But it's kind of a, a fun idea to, you know, entertain this idea. Yeah, it doesn't really go anywhere, but it does set the stage for Kathy really being the narrator for the rest of the season. Because, again, she does all the confessionals. This whole episode is, i got to figure out what's going on, man. They're all lying to me. Man. Man. And I'm being played as a pawn. <clears throat> oh, by the way, okay, i got to point this out. There's a, a point in this episode, right after the two tribes merge, where Tammy gets there, and she gives the most obvious winner speech i've ever heard in any episode ever in survivor history do you guys know the speech i'm talking about is this where she's talking about being nice and stuff and yeah you know she yeah. has she doesn't plan to boldface lie to any of these people to their face but it's part of the game and she's going to be willing to do it if she has to to win yeah that's the thing and they play this stirring inspirational music behind her tammy's ta- i think at night she's saying this and she goes yeah. we all came here not wanting to lie not wanting to break hearts but that's not realistic if you want to do well in this game you have to like straddle the line you have to lie every so often yeah and it's funny that speech is such a winner quote and it comes at the perfect time to just to mess with the audience and it's i always love that quote when i see it i'm like that was why everyone was so bonkers when the row two four fell because of quotes like this tammy quote that came right before it that make it so obvious that tammy's probably the winner 
Well, and I'm going to say this now because I don't want to forget about it when we go to the next episode. She also has an opening speech in the next episode at night, which is not even a confessional. It's to everyone else, which is so condescending when she's like, you guys, you've made the jury. That's a big accomplishment. You guys should be really proud of yourselves. I'm yeah. like, shut the fuck up, Tammy. <laughs> you're, you're, job, gone, you're gone in two episodes, so shut up. <laughs> it's like going to the Special Olympics afterwards and telling them, you guys did really good. You finished the race. Nice job. I'm really That's basically what she's guys. telling Malia. All right, and this is the scene where they merge, and now Rob starts you know, punking Zoe again just because he can, where he starts messing with her in front of everybody. I think this is the one where he says, I find you amazing, Zoe. And she's like, well, thank you. <laughs> yes, and she's like, what? And he's like, I find you amazing. Why, Why thank you. <laughs> Doesn't get at all the sarcasm here and what he's trying to tell her. <laughs> and then, or, uh, and then uh, uh, Kathy just gets up and walks away. Zoe just sits there looking confused. And then Rob just keeps going. He's like, he goes, I don't, I don't like being uh, lied to again and again and again. It irritates me. Yeah, it irritates me. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> He's yeah, fantastic. Is... There, well, there's a good scene here. Uh, am I jumping ahead? But there's a good scene where uh, he gets uh, he gets Sean and John kind of uh, uh, arguing with each other. Is that next episode? There's there's an episode where he kind of gets them going. It's this episode because he goes home. He, yeah. But you know he he it's it's he, he basically starts it's instigating a fight between Sean and John, and it's like you can see. You know, just just the the absolutely you know great manip- manipulation that he has. I mean, it's just kind of you know lost here, and and he just never really had a chance to tell you the truth here. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, he you could you could see some of the the superstar qualities that this guy had here. And I know that you know we're sitting here saying you know from behind. I mean, I I, I didn't know at this point that Boston Rob would you know come back three more times on on seasons of Survivor and stuff like that. But I mean, this guy had something you know. And, and and at least they saw it, you know. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I've talked enough crap about Boston Rob over the years, but in Marquesas, in particular, his last couple episodes, he is absolutely gold. And this one, he's just hilarious, just starting fights, stirring up shit, you know, picking on poor Zoe. <laughs> and then Kathy, <laughs> Kathy can't take it. Kathy's like, like, I can't be around this. You guys are nuts. So Kathy has to go clear her head, and she's like. You know, I think I'm toast. I think they're all going to vote for me tonight. Everyone's lying to me. Everyone's lying. I don't know what's going on. And and she's like, I need to win immunity. That's the only way to save myself. And that leads us right into the immunity challenge, which is another one of those kind of iconic Marquesas moments. This is where they're on the shaky platforms in the ocean. Mm-hmm. They're standing there and the last one standing wins. You get to see Zoe shake her thing a little bit. It's great. She does. She does a little sexy little butt dance. It's awesome. <laughs> then she falls. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. How'd you like to see my hinder? <laughs> yeah, and this is yep. the one where uh, at one point Pascal falls in head first, and I was just watching it the other day. I'm like, I bet Paul loved that scene. I mean, I'd prefer if he were female, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> just as long as they're old and brittle, Paul likes when they go down. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Paul's it. Like, Paul's like, falling is going to happen. <laughs> I watch that challenge. I watch it first, then I rewind it and watch it, you know, reverse so I can see him coming out of the water just to watch it again falling into the water. And then I do it in like slow motion so I can see everything. It's great. I picture Paul having like amnesia about this and like watching it go, oh, oh, look at him fall. Oh, oh that's great. I'm going to watch it again. Oh, oh, look at him fall. Never Whoa. gets old. So Paul's like every viewer of AFV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And by the way, I have to point out, you know, 
I said I've talked enough shit about Boston Rob over the years, and I'm not going to talk shit about him. Well, I will talk shit about him now. Remember how he, the all-powerful, all-time greatest player in Survivor history, Boston Rob, loses immunity in this challenge? He's goofing off trying to splash some water. <laughs> yeah, he, he reaches down to splash John, and he stumbles and hits the platform, and he's done. So really, that's the end of Boston Rob's Survivor legacy. Just because he's trying to goof off in a challenge, he gets eliminated. So much for that. Yeah, and he must have known he was, you know, one of the big targets of the episode, and then he was trying to do that shit. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. So that does kind of hinder his greatest player of all time argument right there when you go back and look at how he was eliminated in Marquesas. I love that, you know, in some trial of is Boston Rob the greatest survivor player ever, that you could basically say, I submit to you yeah. as my final piece of evidence that bullshittery in the final uh, merge <laughs> challenge in Marquesas. And, you know, a judge like pounding the gavel going, that's it. Nope. Case closed. And John's over there. Yeah, but I think it's still open. Yeah, but it's open. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Kathy needs to win immunity. And of course, as just happens to work out every so often in Survivor, it comes down to Kathy versus John for immunity, which is just great because she's the one you're everyone's kind of rooting for. She's the big spunky underdog now. And John, you know, the asshole leader of the row two four and and what does john do he like reaches down and grabs his hat or something and he gets eliminated yeah it's very bizarre the way it's edited it's like he and then jeff says oh john you lost your concentration but it's very odd you just kind of see him bend over to pick up it was like his shirt rolled up or his hat or something like that it's it's, it's very bizarre how that happens kathy you want immunity yeah baby <laughs> jumps in you want it come get it all right flop yeah, I always tell people that weren't familiar with Marquesas that Kathy was like maybe the most beloved female survivor ever, maybe after Colleen. But during Marquesas, she was just absolutely beloved. Everyone was rooting for her. And it's really this episode that kind of starts with that, yeah, baby. And she well, jumps in. And it, it's, yeah, you're super happy she won. It was yeah. just like, yes. <laughs> it, it's funny because my uh, my mom has watched every single episode of Survivor ever. But she just, I mean... She really is not like that much of a Survivor fanatic. She just always watches it because it's all, you know, we always watch it. So, I mean, she half the time she has no idea what's actually going on in the actual season. Couldn't name, you know, could only maybe name you two or three people that goes on. But some the other day something came up about Kathy and she went, "Oh, Kathy, she's my hero." So, <laughs> even though she can't remember who's on this current season, she remembers that Kathy is her hero. Yeah, Kathy was awesome. It was again, it was just almost 100% across the board. People were just kind of rooting for Kathy at this point just cuz Nobody wanted the Road 4 to win because they were cocky. And, like, Sean was kind of polarizing. Kathy was just kind of the spunky, normal person left. And it was just kind of the way it was. So, anyway, Kathy wins immunity. They go back to camp. And this is where we have Rob and Sean and John starting up, you know, round 10 of their fight, which happens apparently right before every vote now. <laughs> it's becoming a ritual. And this is the one where uh, I even have them written in my notes. Hey, have you noticed that nobody's talked in this episode but uh, Kathy and Boston Rob? But it's true if you watch this episode. No one's talked. And then all of a sudden they go to the general for a quote. And the general's great quote is, I'm the general. All I know is I'm the general and that's that. So it's always nice when he can provide his insight to the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's great that Rob doesn't even stop there. He has to like, even get, like, try to get the general fired up here. He's like, <laughs> I ain't talking to no one. I, I, I'm who I am and that's general and that's that. And Rob's like, I yeah. appreciate that. I, I like that. <laughs> I got to say, you know, the general actually, no one ever talks about him. But he was actually playing a little Vesepia at this point where... He lets everyone else fight. He's just over there sweeping. He's like, I'm just staying here. I'm staying out of the drama. So it is not illogical to think that the general could have won Marquesas had other things planned out the way they did. Well, or he played was, just, out he was just focused on his friendship with Zoe. <laughs> yes. 
this this is a spoiler thing, but I am I have got a lot to say about the general at final tribal council. I think that I would submit the general's outfit at final tribal council as one of the greatest pieces of articles of clothing ever worn by anybody ever. Oh, you're killing me because I don't even remember what he wore now. Oh my god! Yeah, I, oh, he had oh, okay. like a he had like a, a flowy denim blouse <laughs> shirt, <laughs> you know. And then it was Aww. tucked with the, like high pleated pants and a belt, you know, kind of that New York style. Like it, it was almost like you know, denim beard, the swashbuckling pilot going on. <laughs> it's That'd have been awesome if he was like nibbling on a tiny sausage or something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I have something written in my notes here that I wanted to talk about. <clears throat> I say, uh, it does. Uh, what did I write? Uh, Sean and John had moments on what it. Oh, this is right. That's right. Uh, Sean said this, that Sean and John had had conversations up to this point in the game, what it's like to be black or what it's like to be gay. And they'd, they'd had a lot of bond over that. And Sean said, it's very hurtful that we're turning on each other now because we've had these very personal conversations. And Sean's like, I, I always thought our bond was worth more than these fights. And I kind of wrote in my notes here, it's really too bad we never saw that on the show because that really would have been kind of interesting where I would actually like to watch Sean and John just sit there and talk about what it's like to be gay or what it's like to be black in society and how they kind of face a lot of the same issues. And and again, Sean just kind of mentions it in passing that they'd had these conversations. And I think it's too bad we never saw that because I would actually like to see. I think those would be very thoughtful, interesting conversations to listen to. They would, uh, you know, because because there's a lot of people who, you know, you know, people who are gay and people who are uh, African-American that, that have to live in American society clearly have a, a front row seat to what it's like to be, uh, you know, such such a minority in in, in a way. But, you know, there there's a, a rare few that are like super educated, not not just about, you know, life and society, but like to discuss such things. And you can tell that Sean really likes to talk about uh, racial relations. And you can tell that John is uh, very upfront about, uh, you know, all things with the with with people uh, living in America being gay. And so, you know, both of them would probably be very willing to share all of their perspectives and have a good conversation. It would be a pretty good show, I would think. Yeah, I agree. And it's, I always thought it was too bad that the Marquesas DVD doesn't have a lot of deleted scenes or extra footage or the recap episode didn't show any of these scenes. Because I actually think the way the way Sean talks about it, there probably were some really good discussions among Rotu. If you put aside all the dramas and the fights and the, like, the game BS. But I bet there were some really interesting conversations with those people on Rotu. Especially if you throw in Gabriel and kind of his perspective on the world. And you throw in John and Sean. And they all have really different ways of how they kind of approach the world probably. So you're trying to tell me that a whole bunch of super smart, super fun people would have really good conversations? I don't want to come right out and say it. It sounds a little, a little extreme. Yes, I am saying that. I, I'm just, I, I don't know if I can follow you. Exactly. Well, that's, I mean, people like tuning into us because they know that super smart people and Paul like having fun, interesting conversations. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Sorry. I had to pick one of you, Paul. I flipped the coin. <laughs> I'll take one for the team. <laughs> okay. no, uh, no, I agree with you, though. In all seriousness, I mean, I, 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 I love Sean and 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 John. I think both of them are pretty awesome people. So, like, just just having them talk about well anything, they could be talking about the Denny's menu, and I would still probably be uh, uh, pretty pretty engaged in that. I thought we were going to split the check. We team. I thought you said we team, John. <laughs> no, you had all of the moons over my hammy. Yeah, but I think you did. <laughs> hey, boys, would you like a bite of my lobster? 
Zoe, what are like you doing so- at Denny's? <laughs> I like to imagine Zoe eats at Denny's too. All right. <clears throat> so anyway, we go. <laughs> Kathy wins immunity. We go to tribal council, and this is a historic tribal council for actually more than one reason. The big one, of course, is that Boss Rob, the most amazing, important player in Survivor history, is voted out. But the other thing that's important about this tribal council, this is the first one where they are allowed to give up immunity if they want. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. They talk about it a lot. Yeah. And it doesn't happen until, is it like our Amazon the first time someone actually gives up immunity? Right. Which always, I mean, this is, you know, Survivor Thailand here, but it never comes up in Thailand, which they never even offer it, which I don't know if maybe they didn't do it in Thailand or maybe it just never was even a possibility that they just kind of cut it out of the show altogether. But yeah, we don't see it till the very end of Amazon too. Yeah. It's funny. And I remember writing in my recap column every week I did a little, my strategy column. And I remember this came up, Jeff is like, well, you could give immunity to someone else if you like. And I remember thinking, why the fuck would anybody ever give up immunity to someone else? Like, what possibly could that could that gain you? And I remember thinking there was no reason for that to ever happen. And I guess I was right, because it never did happen for almost three full seasons. Yeah, it's weird. And, like, we had – there was, like, a big focus of this uh, of this tribal council just like, so what do you think about that? Well, what do you think about that? And it's like uh, – <sighs> Let's 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 move on. Let's go somewhere yeah. else now. All right, I guess that was pointless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is the one where uh, you know Boston Rob gets voted out. It's not really a surprise. You can kind of see it coming, and it was really a shame at the time because he was a big character. I was a big fan of his when I was writing my column. I actually predicted him to win at one point because he was getting so much attention. And I, what I always remember about this episode is there's all these hints that. Rotu's going to fall and someone else is going to win. There's just in tribal council, there's glances there. You know, they do the voting speech. They even show Sean's full voting speech for John. He's like, your time is coming. That's from me to you, dog. Your time's coming. I mean, there's all these hints that John is going to fall. They're all over this episode and the last episode. And as jaded Survivor viewers, we were just so, you know, hardened to the fact that no one ever, no alliance ever falls on Survivor. You just thought they were all red herrings, but they weren't. And in particular, it's funny if you watch this episode, um, because when Vesepia goes up there and votes for Boston Rob, they show her entire voting speech. And it's really odd that they do that because it gives away the fact that Boston Rob is going to get voted out. Like, they didn't need to show her vote. It wasn't obvious that she would vote for him. Right. And, uh, yeah, she goes, uh, I'm going to set up a pizza for Mata Amus for pizza. Or I'm going to set up a fund for the Mata Amus for pizza and beer. And that's what she says when she's voting out Boston Rob. And I'm like, that, again, Winner. that's... Yeah. Yeah, yet another Vesepia winner quote. There must be 10 of them in the season. And this is a big one because there's no reason whatsoever they should be showing Vesepia's rope for Boston Rob, yet they do. And it's all, it jumps out at me when you watch this episode. Oh, and actually, Eddie, yeah, I Eddie even point out. She won. Yeah, and then when Boston Rob is voted out, the first person they cut to is Vesepia. They show John sneering. Ah, I've got Boston Rob. Uh-huh. And then they show Vesepia sitting there looking kind of smug. Yeah. I'm like, why would you cut to Vesepia? She has no point in that whole vote that was a whole john versus rob thing but yeah if you watch the episode you get vesepia's voting comment for rob and her little reaction her smug little reaction to him getting voted out and it's just kind of funny when you see it handing up the torch i do want to point out this is a callback again i i was harping last podcast about how uh, uh i'm i'm just shocked as hell that they went to rotu beach for the merge and didn't go to mara amu beach when they had all the grapefruit nearby uh-huh. and uh, uh on the in the Facebook group, Sheehan and Shiria did say uh, to me in in a in one of those threads that he said that the Marquesan government basically told them to get off Amaramu Island. Mm-hmm. I've heard I that too. If, yeah, yeah. 
So, so that's, that's a possible reason why I'm sitting here yelling, why, are you, why the frig did you go to the other beach and starve uh, when you could have gone to the other beach and had just a shit ton of grapefruit, and apparently they couldn't. So, uh, you know, there's that. I will stop bitching now. All right, well then. Yeah, but I think you will. You'll always be bitching, Jay. <laughs> that's true. Bitch, when you're good at something, you just got to go, you know? Work hard, exactly. play hard, bitch hard. <laughs> I have to point out, I remember... Boston Rob being voted out in episode seven, and it was just devastating for me as a survivor. You know, I was writing my episode reviews and stuff, and I'm thinking, this this is the deadest. I mean, this season is officially over with Boston Rob gone because, like, they're showing all these hints that the road twos would fall. It didn't happen. Uh, Rob saved himself, and then Boston Rob got voted out. And it's like I remember writing in my recap, "This season is done now. This is the day that the, I called it. This is the day the suspense died." And I remember being so bummed that the season was over now. And that's, again, why so many people were so shocked by the next episode, because there were no clues. I mean, no one thought there would be any chance that the Road 2-4 would fall, despite the fact that there's hints all over the season, and despite the fact that there was a spoiler out there that said that John and Tammy were seen on a cruise ship as jury members. I just want to point that out one more time, that even though all that evidence was out there, we'd been so hardened by all the crap the producers had lied to us about over the years that no one was expecting the next episode. And I should also point out I was quite sure we would never hear from Rob Mariano again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're wrong about that one. Yeah, I was wrong about that. Didn't get that one off right. And here we go, episode eight. I just I don't even know the ep- the name of this the episode. I just wrote episode eight, the big one. Jury's out, I think. <clears throat> Actually, I think you're right. That does sound familiar. Jury's out. Yeah, this is. If you were to rank the top ten most important episodes in Survivor history, I would guess this would be on almost everyone's list. Yeah, this this is a big one. We're we're gonna get to it, and it's really funny because it's it's so important and it's so big, and yet I think it's got one of the most throwaway challenges ever <laughs> in that reward challenge. I mean, it, they fly a fucking kite. Doesn't and matter. Doesn't matter. Oh, Zoe deep throats a, a Snickers bar. <laughs> a big one. It's all worth it. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. Nasty. Oh, wait, that was Patricia. Nasty. That's yeah. good. All right, so we start we start this episode, and and Tammy, of course, gives the speech that Paul talked about earlier. Hey, all you guys, you all made the jury. That's pretty good. You guys should be really proud of yourselves. <laughs> you guys should all give yourself a big round of applause because you guys were awesome. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yeah. So any goodwill of Tammy being the potential winner probably goes away with that quote. And any uh, potential thoughts you had of Sean winning go away when we have a big talk about him, you know, farting up a storm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't remember most winners having farting scenes. It's a bad sign. Although there's there's a great uh, there's a great scene in this one right at the start of the episode. I have a I wrote in my notes here. I put a little star next to it, which means make sure I mention it. It says, "Vesepia <clears throat> explains to us in a confessional that she pulled Rob aside and warned him she was going to vote for him last night. She didn't want to screw him over." And I wrote down my notes. There's no reason whatsoever for that confessional to be in the episode, other than to make us like and respect Vesepia. At this point, you can kind of see the editors kind of they didn't really know how to sell the Seppi as a winner, as like a badass, as like a sneak, as like a kiss up. What they're kind of doing around this episode, is they're trying to make her sound ethical. And that's what they did with that, that confessional. She's like, well, I gave Rob a cho- I just let him know because I want he's my friend. And I just wanted to make sure he knew he was on his way out. And it's it's an interesting way since the way the is kind of viewed as a sneak or like a little snake now. But in Marquesas, you can see the editors kind of struggled with how to present her. And at this point, they were still working the she's very ethical and religious angle. <laughs> I don't know if that's that. 
Well, there's that, but it's it's everything she says when you watch it again. Uh, you know, just makes so much sense, and it's it's not just because she's the winner. I, I uh, rewatched this episode or this season with my wife, and she had she didn't see it the first time, and she actually didn't know who the winner was. So you know, it was a complete surprise for her. And I mean, as the season's going on, she's like, "God, that Vesepia, she's right all the time when she says stuff." And it's mm-hmm. you know, a because she's observant. And she's saying, you know, exactly what's going on, and we're seeing that. But B, it's it's these ethical or or very uh, logical kind of confessionals where I didn't want to blindside him, voted him out. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's that kind of goodwill and that that logical sense that's kind of building through the whole thing. And so by the end, uh, my wife's like, oh, Vesepia is the winner because she's amazing. And it's like, yes, yes, she is, and she does. Yeah, it's true. There's just so many Vesepia wins clues throughout the season it's funny because like no one else gets that confessional even though other people might have been thinking the same thing like the general could have even said oh yeah i warned boston rob we were actually pretty good friends but you don't see that because it obviously doesn't help his character any but it's funny that that Vesepia one was stuck in there the general just stuck with you know sean farts a lot yeah i'm the general that's that that's, that's that, that. <laughs> did i ever tell you my general story i forget if i mentioned this no I you interac- not I, I have one interaction with the general in real life I was at the uh, the finale for Survivor Thailand, and and what's funny is if you go to a finale, there's no bathrooms in the studio. There's no place to take a crap or or take a leak, so they only they put like two little porta potties outside for like 800 people, and so what happens at commercial breaks is everyone runs outside. You have to go to the bathroom and you try to get in that porta potty and get out before they start the the next scene up again, and so there was like a, a a commercial. I ran out to the bathroom. I had to go, you know, I get in the porta potty. And I'm in there like a minute, and someone starts hitting the door. And it's the general, because apparently he was the next to go to the bathroom after me. He's like, get out of there. <laughs> I'm like, like, I'll be out in a minute. So I get out, and like, there's the general and Jenna Lewis. And the general's like, you took long enough in there. I'm like, dude, I got stuff I got to do. So there you go. That's my only interaction with the general. <laughs> He's very impatient when he has to take a dump. <laughs> That's great. Exactly. And I, I didn't. I had no. Uh, I did not have any information of, about the sausage side, so I don't know. I don't know what the sausages look like. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, we have this episode. It's we're about to get up to the kite reward challenge. But first, <laughs> we get a. You like that transition? That's good. That's smooth. It was seamless. Yeah, exactly. I'm like Letterman. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, we have this uh, scene at the waterfall where, hey, look at this. There's a scene of Kathy standing under the waterfall and then Pascal and Aaliyah standing under the waterfall. And hey, if you know the theme of the season, that's kind of important. What is the theme, Mario? <laughs> Tell the theme us of more. the season is that Gabriel is awesome. <laughs> no. The theme of the season is that whoever is under the waterfall is the one who is about to be or is already in power. And this is the episode where it's about to happen and it's kind of funny. You watch this episode. There's Kathy and Pascal and Aaliyah all shown swimming under the waterfall and then we go from there right into the fa- Jay's favorite reward challenge of all time, the kites. Kites, woohoo! woo-hoo. Which is just like a slaughtering for Kathy. I mean, no one even stands a chance here. Exactly. See, that's the thing. They stack these challenges where some people can't win, and Kathy is so much better at kites. It should have been obvious. Good thing her weaving and her kite-making skills were up to par. Holy Mother McGrady! Holy Mother McGrady! There's several things I love about this kite challenge. Number one, I think, is it's the biggest throwaway challenge they've ever done in their lives. And number two, they don't even, they don't, they don't even hide it. It's like Jeff Kitson, he's like, you know, it's a windy day. We just thought, hey, we'll do a kite flight challenge. <laughs> yes, and then 
Paul's favorite moment where they introduce the reward and it's the big one, the Snickers. And they give him a bite and the first one is Zoe. And like the music makes it sound like Zoe has an orgasm. It's like, when she's uh, uh, <laughs> and she's like, it's so awkward because Zoe's the only one who like doesn't understand how like the shape of what a kite should be. She has this like rectangle shape thing. And she's like kind of holding her arms like back. So her chest is kind of sticking out as it is. And she tries to hold on to her kite here and her, her hair is kind of blowing in the wind here. And, you know, a lot of people just kind of, you know, take the, take the candy bar out of Jeff's hands, but her hands are so tied up that she has to kind of like sexy bite it out of, uh, out of his fingers and then deep throat the thing it's disgusting it's gross i think should have had a parental warning before he saw that it's gross uh... Uh... <laughs> i think that's the sound zoe makes when she's moaning in bed um i don't care to even think about that so let's move on uh, i wish jeff had said something like oh 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 god oh god what are you doing ah <laughs> uh, yes <clears throat> all right so here we go so so kathy of course rings the reward and i have written in my notes here do you notice kathy is still getting every single confessional in the episode and it's true if you watch this episode episode eight even just like the last one she gets like 90 percent of the confessionals the first half of the episode it's just what does kathy think about what's going on that's basically the season at this point well i want to say one thing here when she goes on the reward i love when she wins it jeff goes D- do you dive yeah i do really yeah of course kathy like she does everything like anything they have like she has like you know some you know she does some weaving she does some kite building she does some diving so she was perfect person to win that challenge and the reward trip is I'll great leave her on the kite thing because holy crap <laughs> well it's great that reward scene where she's out diving because it's just it's just like 10 minutes of the kathy laugh her going and then she like shares like a part of their of her snickers with everybody right isn't that the way it went down then she's then she share the whole thing i mean yeah but everybody gets like one eighth of it and john has that great confessional john's like yeah it was a nice gesture but one eighth of a snickers bar isn't going to change my vote yeah what a dick (laughs) dick dick I take back what I said about John. Fuck John. Yeah. Yeah, John, you're not great after all after that Snickers quote. Yeah, and you do have stupid written across your forehead. Yeah, and <laughs> negative comment here, John. <laughs> I think this is the episode where John says that Pascal and Lily are rooting for his success, by the way. I think oh, it comes up right around, yeah, right around a, here. It's such a great quote. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the height, it's the height of hubris. You know, just interesting going to the challenge, how we're just hit over and over again that Patrick or pa- sorry, Patrick, who the hell is Patrick? Pascal and Nalia will not align themselves with uh, with with Sean and V. No way in hell. There's no way they're going to do it. You know, and Pascal goes out of his way to tell John that it is so important to him that someone like Sean does not win the game. And, uh, you know, which, which kind of gives John this extra confidence, which I mean, I would have that confidence, too, after someone just came up and told me, like, no, no matter what, I'm with you. I, I, it'd be embarrassing if someone like Sean won. By the way, I, got, I'm, I will mention the elephant in the room there. And I'm not the only one who's very uncomfortable, by the way, Pascal says that, correct? That no. I, I, will, I do not want someone like Sean to win. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you watch that episode, it's like, eh, there's a couple things Pascal says in here. Like, I will not align with people like V and Sean. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't like that coming from the southern judge from Georgia. No, I thought the same thing, too. Yeah. Good. Kathy has a great quote right around that point where, uh, you know, we should talk about more about, about that, but I don't want to delve into it because that, <laughs> that, 
that's too uncomfortable a subject. But yeah, there's a great quote right after that. Where Kathy says, you know, Pascal's stubborn. He has this big thing about only making up his own mind about fairness and what's right. And I'm like, well, no shit. He's a judge. That's what he does, Kathy. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing. You know, the, the, John's fall here is so big and so momentous. You know, they, they set it up. You know, Boston Rob does kind of get the whole thing in motion. But as you were saying a little earlier, you know, we were seeing some of the voting confessionals for Boston Rob. We're trying to get even more traction into this, you know, John fall. But really, the John fall is right here. It's Kathy trying to figure out her status in the game and trying to get uh, Pascal and Nalia to vote with her and then with Vesepia and Sean. And it's these kind of scramble days. It's the, hey, maybe we should all vote together. And it all kind of happens so fast. You know, mm-hmm. John's on top of the world. Pascal has said, I'm not going to vote, you know, with let someone like Sean win. Everything's great. And then all of a sudden things start to turn. And even though the wheels had been set in motion by Rob and then by Kathy, it's like his, it's so quick. It's not like, you know, everyone's like, boy, we really want to get rid of John, but we don't have the opportunity yet. It's like, hey, man, we're good. We're good. Wait, 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 wait. Let's get rid of John now. It's real quick. It is, and that's the thing. Like, uh, I forget who just said if it was you or Paul, but yeah, there's the scene right before the coconut chop challenge where Pascal flat out tells us, I will not turn on John and the Rotus. I will give him my word as a judge. And then he tells John the same thing. I don't know. Maybe I did. I don't know. I said it. Yeah, when three smart oh. people get together and talk, it's always interesting. <clears throat> but, but yeah, so you get the, they even say, the editors specifically show us that scene where Pascal says, I gave him my word as a judge, I will not vote for him and I will not do it. And it's like, and that was really game, set, match editors. That was it. The editors have completely set us up that no way is John going home at the end of this episode. And that what makes what happens in the next 20 minutes all the more delicious because no one sees it coming. This is some of the greatest stretch of Survivor ever, this whole immunity challenge, and then everything from here on out. Yep. And here we go. This is where we go right to the challenge. Right before the challenge, John tells us in a confessional, well, Pascal and Ilya, they're really rooting for my success. They want me to do well out here. And then cut right to the challenge. Which is the first challenge of its kind. I mean, we've had challenges in the past, which we also have one later on the season, where like the, the plate-breaking challenge in Australia or the throwing the... Uh, those those African things at the pots or, or you know whatnot, but this is the first challenge that you can actually directly take a hit at someone just for getting a question right, and with three mm-hmm. hits you're out. And you know they end up changing it. They do it for a while, and then pretty I think in season nine they switch it to, or even season eight they switch it to be only reward challenges because I mean it really is not that fair if you're trying to win immunity here. It's really easy to gang up <laughs> on the on other people, but I mean it worked out perfectly in this season because it really showed the arrogance and cockiness of the road to four, and it really showed their pecking order that you know after they get rid of uh sean v and kathy um it's gonna be uh pascal and then nalia was that a technical term those african things <laughs> yes scientific <laughs> that's what pascal called v and sean <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you thank you for the setup on that one <laughs> that was nice nicely played <laughs> Okay. I got. I'm so glad. Good. Keep going. I like hearing the laughter. I like it. I okay, feed I'm off it. I'm done. All right. Oh. All right. So anyway. Oh. So anyway, oh. a lot of people. I hear a lot of new Survivor viewers. They kind of talk about Marquesas, and they're like, "How could the Row Two Four not have seen that trap coming? How could they be such idiots to fall into that trap?" Ooh, ooh, <clears> me, I, ooh, me, 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 you, me. Go ahead. Yes, Jay. None of us saw it coming. 
none of us saw it coming. I will say, I was watching that episode at home that night, and I was pissed watching that episode. I'm like, Sean doesn't have a fucking chance, and this is the most unfair challenge I have ever seen. And I remember being pissed that whole challenge, and I was already writing my recap. I'm like, this is a piece of shit. The producers rigged it so Sean can't win. This is unfair. This is horrible. I didn't see it coming. No one saw that coming. That was crazy because it had never happened on Survivor before. We didn't have – I mean, it, again, it's the whole, you know, once you take the majority alliance, the game's over. Like Silas saying, well, just vote how you want – how we want you to vote, you know, because we've got the advantage. And I think they're rooting for my success. You know, it's the coconut chop challenge. It's, it's you know, gang up on the people you don't want to win first. And, I mean, they just didn't even think to, you know – that that then this exposes all of the pecking order that goes. No one thought that way. It was just all right. Let's just get rid of the people and we'll win. And that's that's that. You know, it, mm-hmm. no one looked at that. It's not even like Jeff describes the challenge and everyone home's like, well, gee, I hope they you know randomly spread out all of their uh, stuff so that you know no alliances get you know exposed or anything like that. You were just like, what what's going? On? Oh, three chop. Oh, that's fun. It, uh... Yeah, it's like, fuck, they took out Sean. That's not fair. By the way, I have to point out, you guys will laugh about this, but I, it does need to be said. <clears throat> when uh, when Sean, Sean is the first one to be eliminated by the coconut chop, and then V, and Sean's on the bench, and Sean's like, I'm calling Johnny Cochran. This is a conspiracy. I hate that I have to point this out, but no, that is not John Cochran from Survivor South Pacific. I've had so many people ask me that over the years, newer, young Survivor fans. Johnny Cochran, the lawyer who defended OJ, is not John Cochran on South Pacific. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Really? People have asked me this. Hmm. People have asked me this. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> how like, hey, John Cochran. Yeah, I know. How old are we? <laughs> no, Johnny, Johnny Cochran was like, I, everyone in America knows who Johnny Cochran was. Yeah. I'm sorry I just spoiled for a lot of young people that OJ was once accused of murder. <laughs> So yeah, so that that's I had to point that out, and I, I I feel horrible that I had to point that out, but it had to be said. Uh, now I feel ancient. We need to end this. I need to go to bed. <laughs> All right. So what happened? So yeah, so we had uh, Sean goes first, and then Vesepia's next, and then Kathy's third, and then Pascal and Nalia. And it's like hmm. And even Sean is sitting there on the bench, and Sean's got this great quote under his breath. He's like, "This is how it's going to go. This is the order they're going to do it." Yeah, and it, it was one of those clearly the producers and, and the people who, who designed this game saw this opportunity there, but none of the players going into it, you know, when Jeff gives the rules and says what the challenge is and they went, I mean, it just didn't cross their minds. But then as you're playing, it's kind of like, Oh my goodness. You know, it was just, it, it's fun. Cause you get the revelation of what this challenge actually means as they're playing it, which is a fun moment for all of us. Yeah, I agree. There's a particular poignant shot right towards the end, right when, you know, the the Rotus are getting all cocky. The general's like, hey, want me to leave the machete out for you, John, so you can chop it next. Just They're just yeah. teaming up. And then the camera pans over to the bench, and it just scrolls right down the boot order. It goes Sean, Vesepia, Kathy, Pasco, and Lee. It goes really slow. And it's really funny what the editors are trying to do. And Zoe is the only one in this challenge to fall for the trick about what is a horse. <laughs> yeah, poor Zoe. I think I've used all my Zoe jokes. Do you have any fresh ones, Paul? <laughs> no, out for a while. <laughs> it was right. just surprising. She gave us so much to work with. She did. It was a great. It's so amazing. yeah, so Zoe falls for the is that that's the horse one, right? In this case, yeah. horse is just a horse. horse. Zoe's the only one to get it wrong. <laughs> <Zoe>. <laughs> 
Well, she's a seafaring woman. She doesn't seem any land mammals. <laughs> not like a, a not like a well. There is a seahorse, Mario. There is. Yes. <laughs> <Like, Yeah. laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. I think we've we've ran the well on the Zoe joke. So anyway. Yes, yeah, so Tammy wins immunity, and the four road twos all come back to camp, and they start gloating, and and John is you know bragging to us like, I'm I'm the one who cut Sean's rope. I thought that was symbolic. That was very fitting that I was the one to get him out of the game. And this is where Nalia, I think Nalia is the first one who really comment. I mean, we have no idea who really was the first one to put all this together, but in the episode they give credit to Nalia saying, you know, something's going to have to change around here because that just wasn't fair the way they did that, and they were they were all cocky and like her eyes are all open now and. As an audience, of course, we're sitting there thinking, yeah, you do this every fucking episode, producers. We're not falling for this again. But here we go again. Oh, yeah, they're going to overthrow the, the Rotus. Yeah, sure, just like every other episode. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, which, I mean, we get this kind of talk here, which, I mean, you kind of believe in. I mean, it seems pretty believable. By the time you get a tribal council, it's like, just not enough stuff here that things could have changed. We heard what you said before the challenge, so... Yeah, going to tribal council, I mean, I, I don't think many people out there really believe that anything would happen. No, and they don't tip you off. I just, again, watched that episode like two days ago, and I was amazed at how few clues the editors kind of give you right up to the last minute that John's actually going home. They really, <clears throat> there's some ominous music that plays, but really there's no hints that the vote is about to go over against John until really I think it's Sean's vote. Sean goes up there, you, know, you don't see any of the votes up to that point, and then Sean goes up there and he's like, Checkmate, brah. I got you. I told you always bet on black. Well, and again, it's, it's all the it's all the red herrings. It's you know, John, you're gonna your fall. You get you're gonna go. You're gonna go. And in as an audience, we're like, yeah, right, yeah, right. And then you see the scramble going, and it just seemed like typical tribal council noise, you know. Mm-hmm. But but you know, when you watch it now, knowing that John's going home, you're watching that going like, oh my god, there's the revelation, there's the turn, there's the shift. But you know, at the time, you're like, yeah, you know, they they might just be entertaining options. But no, it was an actual shift this time. It was, and it was crazy. So many people, again, you, you don't really grasp the significance of that if you weren't watching these seasons at the time, but this had never happened, and there had been so many times, it was like Charlie Brown with the football. The editors would tease you with an overthrow. Oh, Lex is going home this week. For like six weeks in a row, he never goes home, and you learn, you get hardened to it. It's like, yeah, whatever. In this case, it actually happened, and it's so funny you watch Sean cast that boat, and Sean's all cocky. Like, it isn't an instance of Sean just thinks maybe he has a chance to get John. I mean, Sean starts with checkmate, brah. I mean, it's it's just awesome. And it's like, oh, my God, is John about to be voted off? And this is something I've said before, that the way they've done, they do the blind sides and Survivor has kind of changed over the years. Back in the day, they wouldn't really tell you a blind side would be coming. They would often blindside the audience. And I always thought those were the most effective because you'd go, oh, my God, and you'd get in and start talking about it on the Internet afterwards. Like with Hunter, there was no clue Hunter was going. And on this one... There was no clue that vote was going against John that night. The, the editors purposefully hid it from us, even though in interviews, John later said, oh, yeah, I knew I was going. It wasn't a blind side. Everyone knew I was going that night. But it's like they really liked to blindside the audience back then, and I thought it was cool. Yeah, and one thing that we um, um, that isn't really ever talked about in the show is the fact that somehow how – does, how does Zoe in on this plan and also votes for John? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. Which Zoe, is she... never ever talked about. It's only you can see it is during the when you know when they show the votes. And Zoe doesn't understand how Survivor works and doesn't know you hold up your parchment to the camera, <laughs> so you have to really like kind of pause and look. Wait, who did she vote? She voted for John. Was you know what makes me? Believe, I wonder if she was as tight with these four the whole time as it appeared to be, or is it there always was some kind of you know fraction with her, but the show just never highlighted because it's Zoe and we don't care. They have a yeah, friendship, all... Paul. <laughs> friendship. Sorry. Yeah, for all we know, I mean, Kathy and Zoe still could have been best buds and were always aligned since day one. I mean, you, you'd never see it in the episode, but who knows? Like, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the Road to Four were a tight, cohesive group of, group of four all along. I think that was just kind of a fluid alliance that moved in and out with other alliances. And they highlighted it in the episodes because they wanted John to have a great fall. Yeah. And they wanted to focus on John crying in his final words, which to this day is still one of my favorite all-time Survivor moments. <laughs> and Mom can't retire. <laughs> 20 minutes ago, John's everyone's rooting for his success. He's a god. No one can touch him. And then he gets voted out and he starts crying, which, I mean, at, the point, at that time, that was the greatest downfall in Survivor history. And it still might be the greatest downfall in Survivor history. Although, know, but on, on the other hand, you feel bad because, you know— John is is so super awesome, and you know he was just he just loved Survivor, you know, and it was just so sad that he got voted out, and he, so your heart kind of you just kind of feel for the guy, but at the same time, <laughs> I do have to say though, when they released the Marquesas DVD, and you watch his full final words, they're a lot less funny, because like if you would just watch the episode, it's like I thought I could win, and my abs are incredible, mom, and he starts crying, but in his whole final words, it's like. How he was going to win this game for his mom so he could buy her a house because she had nowhere to yeah. live or something. And this was like his life's dream and he was going to help her out. And he was he wasn't crying because he lost Survivor. He was crying because he failed his mom and now she's not going to get her life. So it's a lot less fun when you see his full final words. So let's just pretend those never happened. Let's just pretend he was crying over his abs not being fantastic anymore. <clears throat> well, I do think it was funny that at that point Pascal and Nilio are no longer rooting for his success. Not anymore. <laughs> So, um, you guys have anything else to say about the blind side? I mean, this to me, this is the pivotal moment in Survivor history. Between this and the Gretchen vote in Borneo, these are like the two moments that really made Survivor what it was. <clears throat> you had the Gretchen episode where the audience finally saw how cutthroat and personal and strategic Survivor really was. And you have the John vote when people realized, hey, you know, the people not in power can actually team up and take out the people in power which was a huge development. And in my opinion, that may be even more important than the Gretchen vote. I think it's absolutely, absolutely vital for the evolution of Survivor. And and the next season, Thailand, it almost seems like Thailand comes out of order. Like Thailand should have, you know, predated Marquesas in the scheme Mm -hmm. of things, because really what happens here is really built on by Rob and and Amazon and, you know, carried on with John and Burton and Pearl Islands. It's this idea that, you know, the power can always be shifting. The power alliance is not set in stone. And so this really is what starts that, that shows that Survivor can be something more which i think is is critical to the you know those first early seasons to really you know give survivor the longevity it's had is you know making the game unpredictable new fresh and that definitely is like the biggest step there there could ever be with it to show that you know it isn't predetermined by episode three who's going to win this thing because it always can change the twist in africa and then the twist here in marquesas and the right mix of people shows everyone that it's not just who you randomly got picked with on day one. You know, it's it's not about, you know, 
original tribal immunity. It's about getting yourself to the end and getting everyone to vote you a million dollars. And, you know, everyone just kind of assumed that, you know, you kind of had to stay with the people you were given or play the the cards that you're dealt. And sometimes it's like, no, go and get another deck of cards and make something happen. And I think that, that Marquesas really highlights that. Yeah, and for me, I just think it's a shame watching these episodes, and I've been watching this this season the last couple of weeks, and it's just a shame, you know, as good as these episodes are, three through eight, which, again, the greatest stretch in, in Survivor history of five episodes, six episodes, but uh, you lose these great characters, like, oh, Boston Rob was a hit to lose, and then John, John was a great character, I and mean, take nothing away from this guy, he added so much to the season, and every scene he was in was just a little bit better just because of his paranoia and his cockiness. And that's not to take anything away from him. I just appreciate his value as a character. And you watch these showdowns this season. Oh, Sean versus Boston Raw or Sean versus John or John versus Boston Rob. Oh, Kathy against Boston Rob. It's, these are all huge, major, interesting characters. And it was great to just watch them have showdowns all the time. And it's a shame that you know one had to win and one had to lose. But in this case, I mean, John had to lose to make the story better, and I appreciate that his character took that hit and sacrificed for the rest of the season because Marquesas just became epic because of this episode. Agreed. And um, I believe we're probably going to stop after this episode for this podcast just because... Because Zoe deserves her entire two hours, so look forward to that. (laughs) Exactly. Let's see. Um, do you have anything else to add? I have one more Gabriel story that I was going to say for the end here, but I, of I course you do. Go for it. Go for <laughs> I'll, it. I'll, I'll let you guys talk first. Yeah, no, I'm I, shocked. I, I'm shocked by this. No, I just I just have to say I, I agree with Marlo that the stretch from Hunter's boot to this boot is just absolutely like a, a, an incredible run of episodes for any Survivor season. So I'll just I'll just agree with Mar with Mario on that. Good. Okay. Um, my last Gabriel. Did I tell you guys the story of how Gabriel was cast on Survivor? I don't believe so. I'm not sure. I don't Pro- want to repeat the story. Probably yes, but no, you didn't. <laughs> okay. Like I said before, this this has nothing to do with episode eight. I just wanted to share it because it's a fun story, and I promised some behind-the-scenes stories. But, uh, yeah, Gabriel was originally cast in the first season of Survivor. This is something he told me himself. And and then they said, no, um, you're, we, didn't, we don't think America is going to relate to you. You're a little too odd. You grew up on a commune like you're an ice skater. You do weird stuff. So they didn't think America would be able to relate this guy. So they cut him in favor of Greg Buis, which is funny enough in itself that Greg became every man that America would relate to, the one having sex with his sister. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, they they hold Gabriel back for season two, season three. He was kind of an alternate. <laughs> Oops, sorry to say that again. Oh, how dare you interrupt the Gabriel story? <laughs> I think you have told us for the record, but continue. Mother Africa, please, Paul. Great pod. <laughs> yeah, so Gabriel gets held back, and finally, in Marquesas, they're like, "All right, we'll finally cast you. You can, you can, uh, you can join the cast." But first, you got to prove all this stuff in your bio. They're like, "You're 22 years old. It says you you've taught English in a small village. You've climbed mountains. You've worked as an ice skater. You're an SAT prep. You're like a professional actor." He had like 15 different things he'd done in his life. He was a chauffeur for an elderly gentleman. They're like. There's no way you've done all this stuff in your life. You've never been like a rodeo clown or whatever the fuck he was doing. And so Gabriel's mom had to like fax and send all this stuff to New York, to Los Angeles overnight, FedEx it to prove that Gabriel had actually done all this stuff. Because Burnett was like, look, if you lied to us on this application, we're going to fucking, you're never going to work in Hollywood again. We're never going to cast you. We're going to, I'm going to get you blacklisted yourself. 
so Gabriel's mom had to fax all this stuff, and Gabriel's like, it was the ridic- most ridiculous rush. I had to go to post office, get all this stuff, rush it over to CBS, and prove, like, oh, yeah, I've been a professional ice skater and stuff like that. So I always thought that was funny that <laughs> his mom had to prove that he did all this stuff, or Burnett was basically going to cast him out of Hollywood for life. Great and also, pa- Pascal will not align with the African things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought it needed a capper. All right. Um, I think that's pretty much all we have for this one. This is going to be a three-parter. It's still scheduled to be a three-parter. We got episodes 9 through 13 in the last part, and uh, unfortunately those episodes aren't quite as epic as the the ones up through 8. Once it hits John's downfall, I mean, not to take anything away from Zoe, work hard, play hard, Zoe, but yeah, the season kind of gets a little less dynamic at this point. There's still some interesting stuff to talk about. Part three of this podcast should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be good, and we're gonna have to do a lot of talking about uh, Final Tribal Council, the winner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and just the end of Kathy's arc. I mean, you know, this this is all important stuff coming up. And the Purple Rock, the often maligned Purple Rock that so many people seem to hate, yet I think was one of the greatest things to ever happen in Survivor history. But we'll get to that later. So you got anything else to add, Paul? Nope. Um, I just can't <laughs> wait for, uh, you know, two hours of Zoe. I think it's, it's going to take a while to cover that episode, but uh, it's going to be hardened for me. Just like you we talked about Gabe the whole time, get ready for a lot of Zoe action. Hey, yeah, Paul, that's the thing. Snickers? <laughs> bad, bad image in my head right there. <laughs> Let you take a bite of my Snickers. Gross. <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, so part two was Mario just going on and on about Gabe. I'm done with that. I've got it out of my system. And now part three will be Paul just talking about Zoe. Work hard, play hard, Zoe. And then after that, we have Jay. We're talking for three hours about Thailand all by himself. Oh, my God, it's going to be epic. Actually, I'm really yes. excited to move on to Thailand too, Jay, so I'm with you. Oh, man, all right. that's sweet. All right, so I guess we will uh, sign off here for the Survivor Historians. We don't have uh, any time for reader questions on this one, so we'll just kind of end it here, and we'll save all the questions for the end of the next one. So, as always, thank you for listening. I am, uh, let's see, how did I start the podcast? I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm not even here to play the game, man. Uh, This is Paul, and I'm going to switch up a little bit here and go to that sound effect of, oh, no, no. (laughs) Work hard. Play hard. And this is Jay Fisher, and no one anymore is rooting for my success. All right. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Checkmate, bruh. Thought you had me. So, anytime you go to Vegas, bet on black. John, the tribe has spoken. Okay, do. Well, well, well. So, I'm the first member of the jury. I'm going to go eat really good food. My abs are incredible. I wish I could have done a little bit better. You won't be able to retire, Mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, but I made the game, and I made the jury, and I just I did really well, and I'm very proud of myself.